Hey everybody, welcome to the Nightmares Podcast. Uh, this is yours truly, Mark Conway, executive producer and co-creator of Living Nightmares. Uh, and to my left is, of course... Brian Rakowski, co-creator, director of photography and head writer of Living Nightmares. Zach Smith, who's who never wants to introduce his title. And of course, we actually have a very, very special guest, a dear friend of ours and a Chicago director um, uh, and a Chicago writer and a California uh, born and, and, and bled um, and bred. I, I, I guess bled, bled is good for this, for this podcast too. Blood! If you want blood, you got it. Uh, go ahead, uh, sir, and introduce yourself. Hi, this is uh, Jeff Patello from Go Lucky Studios. Uh, executive producer is the other thing that I do a lot. Uh, <laughs> so th- that's, that's uh, yeah, just I came to Chicago uh, in 2010 and kind of started over here. But I'm from California originally. Wow, I'm a lot. I'm looking at the uh, sound metrics, and I'm a lot quieter than Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Mark knows so how to project his voice. I got that big booming theater voice, man. That just goes. Theater. Mark can't whisper. Yeah, that's that's what I was. That was more. Everyone was, hold, Mark. Whisper. I'm whispering. That is not a whisper. Oh, oh they scared Christ. the shit out of the cat. Dude, <laughs> dude I, have, I have two volumes, loud and asleep. The uh, <laughs> loud and asleep. Mark, louder and more intense. <laughs> loud and A. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> so uh, we got a, a, a plethora of, of, of great topics to talk about today. Um, I think, um, uh, I don't think there's anything particularly pressing in a horror movie news this week. Well, Zach and I did watch the last two Alien oh. 40th Anniversary shorts. Um, uh, and then we're definitely going to go into that. And then also uh, our, our guest has a very unique perspective on these particular ones. I know we talked about it in our last podcast. I think he can offer a unique, unique perspective on the Alien shorts that not a lot of people can. So, gentlemen, if you guys want to take it away, I'm talking about the last two Alien shorts, and then I will let um, uh, the, the reins go over to Jeff uh, to talk about the uh, the contest itself. All right. Uh, so just to recap from our last podcast, uh, Zach and I talked about the first four of the six Alien anniversary shorts. Overall, very much mixed bag. Uh, one of them we loved, two of them we hated. One of them was very mad. It, it, it either needed more time or a better written script. One of the two. Yeah. I'm going to lead with more time, but the script still could have been a little bit better. Yeah. So anyway, the first, uh, or the fifth short, but the first one we're talking about today, Alien Harvest. Uh, Zach, how about you start on that one? Um, it was good. What it's... was it about? Um, people trying to escape off a scapecraft or something like that, and then it just kind of ends with a, oh, okay, that just happened. Um, it's not great. So are we doing spoilers or not? Sure. Okay, like, there, I don't really feel there's anything to spoil on this yeah, one. Like, it, I feel, I feel like... It's a very predictable piece, but at least it's visually yeah, entertaining. People are trying to get into an escape craft, they get in the escaped craft... There's an alien egg. They get face huggered. There's also a the fully end. grown drone. But my question is, they go in a circle. So, so wait, there's a drone and an egg. No, the, the the egg is in the actual like escape pod. So the escape and pod was, has one egg in it, and it was put there allegedly by the by the robot. Yeah, the woman, android. the android. Yeah, which, I, the the story doesn't make sense, but at the very least, 
this one had like good visuals and stuff and some. And I, so the production I, I quality was high, but the, the lore the lore doesn't make any sense. No, my, my, even lore wise, it's fine. It's just not that great of a story. Uh, well, yeah. first off, what story? And I think a more appropriate title would have been Alien Noise. Yeah. Uh, like it was like loud you, noises. Can you hold on to a shot for more than three frames, please? Okay, that wasn't a big problem. Here, my, here's uh, hold me. on, like 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 Jason Bourne, like shaky cam. Kind no, of this stuff. this wasn't Jason Bourne or God forbid the final Resident Evil movie. They filmed um, the movie in the strobe light. You yeah. saw that? Oh. Yeah, look, I was obligated to see that movie. More on that later. Anyways. The worst part about the not literally Jeff, I see your face. Oh, oh dude, oh. like fucking, because I can see the shots from the original Alien in my mind and what Ridley Scott was doing because he cam off that whole thing himself and his DP was basically second camera operator. Mm-hmm. So you have the director and the DP with the cameras on their shoulders. Most of it was shoulder cam, and the actors were just kind of figuring it out, and the movie worked. I mean, it's kind of like rolling the dice and winning the lottery especially with sci-fi and something as heady as the alien universe but the shots that i'm thinking of when you said it was all strobe that someone might try to duplicate and not do it effectively is all of those tension shots where they're just with the shitty lighting and they're having conversations about what are we going to fucking do and then they're running from the alien the lighting is you know like a car going under an overpass where you're just having to make the um in grip and electric, it's like a you put it on a C stand and then you spin it around and it goes past the person's face and it looks like they're driving in a car with streetlights going over them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a strobing effect, and if somebody gets crazy in their filmmaking, could oh let's just turn down a strobe light in the shot. I think it makes it sound a lot worse than what it really was. Okay, I didn't find it that bad. Honestly, it was just it is not terrible. Yeah, what part it's... of it was the harvest? No, that's not Harvest. Wait, was it Harvest? That was Harvest. Was what part yeah. of it was the Harvest? I guess the very ending? What got harvested? The humans. All of them? So everybody <laughs> died? Yeah. And hence me saying a more appropriate title than Alien Noise. Yeah. You just made loud noises and that yeah. was it? That, that, that's pretty much what the short was. It was a bunch of loud noises and flashy editing. And there was oh, a xenomorph And an egg. And a facehugger. How did the, how did the egg xenomorph and facehugger look? They look great. They look good. Yeah, they were done very well. Yeah. Again, it's, again, it's just like it's not a terrible short. It's just a very empty short. Yeah. Mm. And at the like I said, at the very least, this one had great visuals going for it. The story was just what? Because there's one scene where apparently they go in an entire circle, and then conveniently to their left or right or something like that, the escape pod was right there the whole time. So they made an unnecessary track around the entire space station, only to be like, oh yeah, we could have just gone here. It's, what? <laughs> this whole thing... Okay, I'm going to wait to save that till you guys are done, because there's like five things trying to jump out of my mouth right now. Like, it's, just fucking... it's a very weird sight. Uh, yeah. Seeing five things trying to jump out of your mouth. I was going to say, that sounds like a personal problem, man. <laughs> you may want to get that checked out. Well, when I swallow a face hugger, it doesn't actually gestate, you know. Oh, yeah, it tries to escape. I, oh, yeah, it tries to escape because I have so much rage inside my body that it can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> Take that as you will, folks. Yeah, sure. Yes, I'm a red lantern. Be quiet. The, uh... <laughs> 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 yeah. That should be a podcast. So what color lantern are you today? Oh, red motherfucker always. Zach, what color lantern are you? Right. That's the only good one. What about me? You're a color that hasn't been discovered yet. 
cool. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. So, and so then, then the last one. Final one, Alien Alone. This was one, a very I, interesting this one. one. <laughs> How is that not a porn title? How? <laughs> wait, wait, so you think it's a porn title? Mark and I looked at each other, and all I'm hearing is that, what was it? A, it's not a Green Day song, but like an Offspring song from back in the day. I was all by myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Or the or the masturbation songs. Alien alone. So an alien xenomorph is jerking off somewhere. What are we talking about? <laughs> well, you're, you're half right. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. I don't. I, I don't want to be half right at all. So the story about this one, I, a synthetic is alone on a ship, and I guess this one which, is allowed to have feelings, which you don't okay. know it's a synthetic at first. Yeah. So they actually revealed this. They slowly revealed the information and it was done in an interesting way yeah, there were some hiccups in this story like if anything this is the longest of the shorts at 12 minutes yeah and this one anything, also had bill paxton's son in it so yeah. of course that one um, was gonna be given more but time. if anything mm-hmm. i wish it had more time like it was interesting because it's like okay like this goes back to the first short where there is that one woman in the first short after the chest burster came out, he's like, "Don't kill it; it's beautiful," or something like that. We had no idea if she was a, if she was a synthetic or if she was an actual. She was human. just a character that was there. But that's something that feels like one of the synthetics would do in the series. Um, this one actually took that concept, and we actually got to see that beauty from the point of view of a synthetic, and that's what I felt this one did really well. Yeah, so that's a, that, I'm interested in that. I mean, that's yeah. that's that that piques my interest. It seems like a good story idea and something you could run with. Yeah. So pretty much, I would say it's huggers can't yeah. do shit to you know the synthetics. They're giant. They're robots and they're mechanical. They can't just. They, have, find they out, have no yeah. digestive system. And that's so how you find matter. out the character is a synthetic. You think it's just somebody alone waiting for rescue on an escape pod, and then there's of course the lab that she doesn't have access to on the ship. But then finally the computer lets her get into it. There's an alien egg, facehugger jumps out, but it doesn't do anything. So that's how you find out that the character is a synthetic. Until then, you think it's just a regular human. The facehugger actually breaks her arm, which is how you see it's a synthetic. The white ooze starts coming out, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then pretty much it's just this synthetic alone on a ship for God only knows how long with this facehugger, and yeah. Hmm. Stuff. It was interesting. It was interesting. It was done very well. It did something different with the series, and yeah. Yeah. It wasn't horror, but it was good. Yeah. I'm just like, all right, I can live with that. You know, consider, one to go out. considering some of the pieces we got, especially episodes two or three, I'm like, Oy. I'll take that, sure. Yeah. You know, it seems like somebody actually put some effort into this one. All right, all right, gentlemen, I, I think Jeff is about to explode, so I, I got to let, okay, so, let him go a little bit. About so, for our team, and and I'll own all of this in... in uh, I was kind of point for our submission. We submitted for this project. Um, our company website was not live at the time, and it's one of the reasons I think our submission didn't get taken seriously. Our website is live now. You can go uh, www.goluckystudios.com. You can kind of look at some of the stuff we've done. We've been heavy in PR and marketing. Some of the short films that we've shot are going to be um, put together and previewed later this year. Um we're just going to put some horror shorts together and, and some of our content will be in there. Yeah. 
Brandon, uh, Brandon will put a link below. Um, uh, when when it's up, yeah, Living Nightmare will obviously have that uh, because it's all the guys in the room that have been a part of that since, you know, Mark's been around since the early days of Go Lucky Studios. So that's 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 something that will come full circle. Um, but I saw this contest was sent to me uh, by a friend. They said, hey, check this out. You should totally submit to this. So we all got together, put slapped together a, a, a script from something we were already writing and submitted it. And I'm pretty confident that the reason our submission didn't get taken seriously was not because of the story, but because of our perceived pedigree. Um, my film credits go back roughly 13 years, but not enough of it was what they were looking for, I guess. Um, and, you know, Mary's go back, my partner Mary, hers go back about seven or eight years. Um, and it just, it just wasn't enough. I looked at some of the other companies and the, some of the other people, some people have full feature films under their belt. They, some have several, some have commercials that you've seen on TV. So this, the people with the really strong submissions, uh, were indies in the big indie sense, not independent filmmakers as in grassroots independent filmmakers. These were people who have worked with bigger budgets, people who have, there's a company that 20th Century Fox has done work with that they actually recruited to round out the submissions. Uh, after all the submission period was done, these guys actually submitted late or they were reached out to by Fox for their submission and they got added to the queue. As it said in the, in the contest rules um, on Tongle when the contest was originally announced, um, it said in a little disclaimer, 20th Century Fox basically reserves the right to change the rules at any time. <laughs> and it was part of the thing you were agreeing to is that basically Fox is going to do whatever they want and we're going to let them do it because we're Tongle and they're Fox. So in between the time that the contest was announced and now Fox was purchased by Disney, 4,000 studio executives across the board were fired between now and then, including Richard Puepler at HBO, who basically created the modern version of HBO. We have Game of Thrones because of him. We have Westworld because of him. And his second-in-command, they both left HBO. So if those two guys that created modern HBO are gone, what do you think has happened at Fox in the meantime? Which kind of is sad for this project because ever it's in a reassessment phase so who knows what any of this means? So we almost may have dodged a bullet because we would have put all this time, effort, and energy into it. It would be something great for our reel, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I hope that the filmmakers who made it this far are actually getting some of the attention they deserve and are actually getting to be able to work the town, so to speak, in Los Angeles and do something with this because that's a really rough position to be in. Mm -hmm. um, we were, I was especially, I was live streaming as we were getting the contest results in and it was pretty rough. I mean, we had a lot of good support from our local friends and stuff in Chicago and people rooting for us and whatnot. As you saw on the live stream, people were talking to us and, and it was good. And then I heard I heard from a lot of people afterwards. Um, but it's, it's the kind of thing where there was a lot of strange things in the first round that showed up where they were violating the rules of the universe. People were violating the rules of the contest. Uh, and again, Tongle said, you know, Fox has the right to do whatever they want. There were things that came in that were so far off the rules that Zach would be like, he, 
reach out to me and go, dude, what is going on? This doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, it's the line I told you about in the contract. Fox can do whatever they want. They're just kind of throwing it on the wall and is seeing what sticks. What I think this came from is somebody at 20th Century was like, we need to expand what is going on with the Alien universe because like the last two or three movies have not worked the way the first two did. If you look at Alien and Aliens, that's never been duplicated in terms of box office. It's never been duplicated in terms of fan experience, and those are the two movies that really... Everybody that's a fan of the franchise and the universe is referencing those two movies. Look at the directors who directed that. Ridley Scott and James Cameron. Okay, I don't even know who directed the third one. David Fincher. Oh, David Fincher. Yeah, okay. The first movie, but of course we all know the behind-the-scenes drama that happened on yeah, that one. Right. So even though it's his first movie, a lot of people really consider Seven to be his first movie, even though right. Seven was his second one. So, so the point is, is from the David Fincher Aliens, it's gone downhill... Uh, arguably, of course, but it's it's not the same universe. I remember seeing Aliens and being like, oh my god, I want to be a fucking space marine. You know, and I was like, why didn't they nuke it from orbit? You should have just nuked it from orbit! Oh my god, you're so stupid! The scene where they set up the auto turrets in the hallway and they ran out of bullets because there were so many xenomorphs. Like, I was just, I was in. And I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not a massive horror person, for me, Aliens is not even a horror movie. It's a sci-fi space adventure. Mm -hmm. If there's evil bug things in space, they're not going to be cool and nice, and you're not going to get a chance. It's not going to be like um, uh, Starship Troopers. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you want to live forever? Yeah, I'm from Rio de Japan. You know, it's it's fucking... It's would you like to know more? Yeah, I, right, right. I would. Rico's up next. <laughs> it's not going to be that. It's going to be like, oh my God, this thing's blood's made out of acid because it's cultivated on a planet where that makes sense, you know, and there's a methane atmosphere. That alien to me practically is more evolutionarily makes more sense than the random space bugs hurling giant i don't know meteors meteor turds from like sure. how that how that's even possible the logic there is just whatever sure yeah sure. It, it's starship troopers so, there is no logic so so jeff the one thing I, I really wanted to hear from you and i know that a lot of people wanted to hear as well can you kind of go into a little bit more detail about the, the process and some of the rules and how do you found how you found out, and I know there's a, you know... It so, so contest submission rules vary depending on what film contest you're submitting for. Um, but there was a lot of stuff that's like, and I'm not looking at it, I'm just pulling this from memory. There's a lot of stuff that was like, um, here's the rules of the universe, and you can only go and use things from the first two Alien movies. Okay. Yes. Um, so they you could only reference them. Refer you, you actually couldn't take or like they. You literally yeah. couldn't talk about any like, if it was from the. They are only 20th Century Fox only considers Alien and Aliens canon, as far as they're concerned at the studio. Everything else doesn't exist. That lets you know what the actual box office versus budget has been. If Fox themselves are saying this. Now this is this is mid or pre Disney acquisition, mm -hmm. so we have no idea what's going to happen to the universe right now. Again, four thousand plus executives laid off, or I've heard more. Yeah, it's I, I've heard it's been closer to five thousand. I heard six was the last thing I heard was six, and it's it's going up as people begin to vacate the space. 
because they're they're basically they're merging several studios. You've yeah. got Fox Searchlight, you've got a bunch of subsidiaries, and now you have twenty seven hundred people doing the same fucking job. And Disney already has infrastructure. Do we swear on this podcast? Oh hell yeah! Nobody gives a fiddler's fuck, man. <laughs> Come on. I think it's fiddler's fart, but okay. No fuck. It's like that Simpsons moment Bart on the news. This was a really crappy camp. Can I say crappy on TV? On this network, you can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking Fox. Anyway, yeah. so... so now You are watching Fox. <laughs> right. Fox. <laughs> now you're watching Disney Fox. Uh, ooh. Uh, ooh. Except they never... Don't, bought... don't foxes eat mice? Ooh. Oh. It's How about... that weird fox-mouse hybrid. The, um, and actually... Uh, it's some sort of weird furry thing that I don't understand. Good the, luck with that. And actually, Disney didn't buy... Fox News Division, because even they have standards. Um, <laughs> no, the, the Securities Exchange Commission wouldn't let them do it. Did they? Did they actually make a full? The, that's accusation? part of no, no. That's part of the ruling is that 20th Century Fox can't own sports, and they can't own news because then it becomes a, it violates monopoly and antitrust laws. Interesting. Because okay. makes sense. <coughs> Disney already has uh, a oh. news division, and they already have a sports division. ESPN, and yeah. ABC. Right, yeah. so they literally can't own those sections. So those sections are are for auction, for sale, or they're... I'm sure they're already sold and somebody else has them. The, the shit that Disney owns would, <coughs> would astound you. Yeah. Well, whatever. So so to answer your question, Mark, the, the way it worked is you had to be on canon, which was Alien and Aliens. Okay. And you couldn't violate the rules of, those, of that universe. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can't do an Alien-King-Queen hybrid, you know, I'm... There was one of the submissions called Alien, A Love Story. Yep. And I think we talked about that one last week. Yeah. Well, the, the amount of rage that in general came out. And if you go to the comments page on Tongle, I, I'm very vocal on there, but I'm trying to support people. But at the same time, I'm frustrated. I don't want to shit on other filmmakers for any reason. Uh, but there's some of the stuff that I just had some real serious questions about in the decision-making prog- process of what was selected. And then once I and you know the Tongo guys had their hands full trying to keep Fox happy at the same time not trying to alienate their fan base. And if you're any aspiring filmmakers out there, Tongo can be a great resource for paid work. Um, and there's a scale of stuff there. Don't be afraid to submit because if you're submitting, then you at least exist. And one of our biggest issues as filmmakers is that we don't exist. Um, oh, I'm a filmmaker. Well, prove it. You know. Where's your proof? And it's why feature films are so important and having that anywhere in your back catalog. Well, well I've shot 27 pilots. Have you done a feature? Mm. You know, it's like, it's great that you've done a bunch of spec pilots, but have you done a feature? If you've done a feature and then you go do a, and do a pilot that has a little more strength, especially if it's gotten distribution. So I think that's part of what our hamstring was. Uh, our concept was uh, Alien, uh, what do we call it? I can't remember the title now. <laughs> it was uh, Praetorian. Yeah. Alien Praetorian. Um, and Zach was helping me with my lore and staying on, on point. And I basically did a... Um, we did a, a bunch of miners investigating a colony. Uh, they discovered this... Or they're, they're like scavengers. They weren't miners. They were scavengers. And they, they had found this abandoned colony. And their crew chief basically... Um, wasn't really a crew chief. She was a bounty hunter who uh, who knew that the xenomorphs were there and was using the rest of the scavengers as bait to draw the queen out. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't see the conclusion of that because we didn't have enough time, but we see the setup before the big fight. So there's all this tension, and, and we had some really cool reveals where the landing craft that these guys discover, they're like, why is there a military-grade scout ship here that's empty with all the weapons intact? And then we cut to a scene where underneath the ship, uh, a queen unrolls her head. And, and it's like that's kind of the final shot is that the ship that they're all in is getting surrounded and our crew chief steps into mech armor and they're like, where the fuck did that, what's going on? And she says, don't worry, bait. It's, or some smart-ass line and it's about to be this free-for-all kind of thing. Uh, in all transparency, that, that crew chief character or captain character, I forget what her rank was, uh, was kind of modeled after Samus Aaron, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mark knows why I'm talking about that. Uh, but that was kind of our concept, and I felt like it was pretty, it would be fun, if nothing else, and we were, we had kind of created an environment and a universe um, that Zach on the hardcore lore part was really happy with. Or at least, I don't know, were you really happy oh, with yeah, that? I was really looking forward to do this. But no. <laughs> so, we got Alien Night Shift. <laughs> so... So anyways, that, that, so part of the submission process is you had to come up with a script in a short amount of time. You submitted the script and then you had to submit all of your above the line crew members. So your director, your gaffer, uh, your DP, your editor, and links to any finished work that they had done. So you couldn't submit reels. You had to uh, submit complete projects, which is something I've seen studios do before. Or executives, they, they don't want to see your reel because someone's reel can be made to look really sexy and then the pro- projects are garbage and you get there on the day and the director or the DP or the editor or whatever doesn't know what they're doing. Um, which, if they cut together a sneaky reel out of garbage, you kind of think the editor would be good, but yeah. this this is just things I've seen happen. Um, so yeah, that's kind of it. It says, so you stuck within those guidelines and then you waited and then they had this whole submission process that's kind of terrifying and exciting at the same time but again i strongly recommend tongle to people uh it is going to get frustrating but just keep submitting and you know keep shooting which is always the answer just like the fish says just keep shooting yeah Yeah. that's the best you probably can do yeah um we can't you know what i i didn't hear you know i heard these guys talk about it but if you can give a brief opinion about have you seen the shorts or did you avoid them i i haven't watched any of them yet i'm nervous to get into it because i i feel like i'm it's gonna piss me off uh any any mistake i see any anything that's less than what we would have done is going to be really infuriating um and i'm like i'm I'm the COO of one company. I'm going to be the CEO of a new company by the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm, my plate's full, and I can't afford to have a nervous breakdown in the middle of that. Well, that's important. Uh, <laughs> and, and, actually, and actually, the one thing I will say though for uh, for everybody listening out, you've all seen our first episode. Um, the standard of quality that we have on Living Nightmare is no different than the, the gentleman to my right. He is yeah. all about Thanks. standard of quality when that's it comes kind of to, to anything he works on. Um, uh, it, it really is all about. Um, making sure we have the best possible product out there um, so everyone is a part of it. All of the, uh, the cast, crew, um, executive staff is, is all very proud of what they're uh, doing. There's, there's a reason why um, uh, all four of us in here are friends is we have 
similar desires. We're huge cinephiles. <laughs> huge cinephiles. We make each other laugh, but also we... Zach have, is doing a friendship dance, which if you know Zach is pretty cheesy. And the guy's about knives and blood. And then, and, okay, there we go. There's and, the knife. And, and, and then, and then yeah, there's yeah, the knife. Yes, yes, <laughs> and there's the knife. Let, let me see that real quick, Zach. I'm, I'm going to tell them the story. So Zach got this new alien queen... Queen? Mother. It's not a queen. Motherfucker, that's a warrior. Get it right. Warrior. I don't know. For some reason, when you showed it to me online, I thought it was a queen. Oh, well. Um, queen has the bigger flanges on either side. You're killing me, Brandon. <laughs> You're killing me. Okay, so Zach got this new Terminator letter opener. All right, that's it. <laughs> oh, oh, no, 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 Zach, Zach, put the knife down. Come on. So, so it's this letter oh, opener. God. Put it away. Okay. Uh, people are gonna listen to this thing. So so anyway, so I promise we're all best friends. <laughs> I promise. Oh my god. The um, what I was gonna say before I was interrupted about the about the thing is that yes, we all have insanely odd senses of humor. Yeah. Um, we we're massive cinephiles and fans, but we all have the same goal and aspiration, which is to put out. Which is to put out good shit. I mean, that's that's. I was what gonna it. say putting out. Um, well, just well, shoot it, baby, shoot it. Shoot it. <laughs> The um uh, so so yeah that being said um I think I think we can uh, move on to what uh, next topic we're gonna do our uh, our uh, movie uh, category of the day Brandon if you want to introduce that underrated awesome. horror sequels underrated horror sequels hmm. yes yeah so um, I've got a few to talk about oh, but God. I'm curious what you guys can come up with um, I have I have one and it's not gonna be a shock to anybody in this circle um uh, it's gonna be Scream Two. Um, okay. I, well, that just implies that Scream is good to begin with. Oh, shut up, Zach. <laughs> Scream is excellent. <laughs> Fuck you, man. I, I have another... I have a movie on my list of underrated sequels that is in the Scream series, but it's not two. Really? Because I actually think two has is well-regarded enough, in my mind, at least in my experience, is talking to people. Um, I, I don't think Scream 2 is... Dumped on enough to be considered underrated. Well, okay, fair enough. I mean, I I have heard yeah, I've heard mixed things about it and everything else, and I have mixed opinions about it to be uh, to be honest. But I do really, really enjoy it. Um, and I think yeah, I you know, um, yeah, I guess so. I I I, I can see that. I agree to to an extent. Um, but um, so but, define this a little bit better because you're sa- mm-hmm. saying underrated horror sequels. Technically, Terminator Two is a horror sequel. Okay, but that and movie it, was not underrated. Right, loves right, exactly. Yeah. So I've that's not an underrated horror sequel, but nobody considers Terminator Two horror, even though Terminator, when it came out, the original one was a horror film. Hmm. Piranha yeah. Two, by contrast, and yes, I'm tying the James Cameron bit together. Uh, garbage horror sequel. Yes, you know, but you know, which what's our what's our. We, so, uh, I think if we start listing some, we'll, we'll kind of get yeah, the idea yeah, where, you, where we're you're talking right. classic horror. We're talking slasher horror. I'm just I mean, any kind of horror, just horror in general. And of course, we're always kind of you know we're all kind of loosey goosey casual over here. We we've, we we I taken, think I think Predator Two is super underrated. Okay, I'll agree to that. But again, I just never looked at Predator as a horror movie. Like I love the Predators. There's only one Predator movie I don't like, and that was the recent one. He's literally saying this, and I'm looking at a bunch of Predator masks. In, in the room here. And, and, and there's, there's a, a giant, giant yeah. predator mural in the back. Predator skull upon skull behind me. And yeah. then my uh, bookshelf over there. Yeah, there's there's more predator it's an alien stuff. Skull. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's anyway, a personal <laughs> predator 2 reference. He has an alien skull on the wall. 
Yeah, Zach's um, Predator fan card is super intact. Um, but I think that that one's underrated. Exactly. The mic barely picked that up. I'll, I'll do it, it into the microphone before the... In- yeah, there you go. Better. Oh, that, yeah, that caught it. That's good. So, so anyway, continue. So, so the point is, I'm I'm a huge Predator Two fan in terms of because I like future stuff. You know, I'm I'm big into that. Uh, oh God, I don't want to talk about it. Blade Runner era stuff or that that cyberpunk, but I'm not dystopian future all the fucking time. It's the the, the dystopian part of the future just drives me nuts. But it, anyways, that whole thing i thought was entertaining and fun and and they took a lot of risks um and then the end where they kind of show that the predators had been doing this you know oh you cross the galaxy but across time i mean he literally gives him a flintlock pistol and is basically like yeah bitch we'll be back that establishes some core things for the predator universe and then of course the xenomorph skull on the wall which drove me up the fucking i'm like oh my god so yeah that was that was the first (laughs) thing that connected both universes yeah. was that film and then if you look at all the other skulls on the wall there's some shit on the wall that to me was scarier than xenomorphs oh absolutely you got I'm, the I'm giant like, beast skull and all that there was multiple giant beasts the one thing that looked like a fucking crocodile what was that you know it's it just so there's all this other stuff that could happen in the I predators universe the you hunted in the avp uh like rts game it's fucking awesome so, anyways, that 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 whole episode to me was exciting, and it, it was kind of like they referenced the Schwarzenegger movie. Um, I think the tech thing is always a problem in Predator for me because they're not using, you know, anytime there's space movies or science fiction movies and they deal with humans versus anything, mm-hmm. they almost never get it right with the tech we have right now. It's like there's weapons we have now that could defeat whatever the aliens are coming after us with. And Brandon is famous for telling me all the time when I get, (laughs) I get military nitpicky about things, especially if it's any kind of warfare combat stuff. I get really anal about it. Like Brandon's like the movie has to happen. It's like, it has to happen, but do your fucking research, (laughs) you know, pay attention to the details. James Cameron, when he's making avatar, there's a bunch of shit that's right there. There's a bunch of shit that follows this is exactly how they do it. They gather intel. They figure out the weaknesses. Okay, they have a political component. They have to consider all that. Oh, let, okay, let's gas them. Gas didn't work. Okay, we're switching to fucking heat rounds. Gas them out. Give them a chance to get out of there. Now we're taking the tree down so we can mine. But the commander sitting in the biggest, safest thing calling out orders. All those mechs they have, well, that's practically applicable and it's not high concept. I mean, it is high concept in terms of you know, developing things in military grade, but if you look at the exosuits that are experimental right now, what James Cameron did is he just followed that trend and went with the thinking, the logic behind that. He's also from a family of engineers and had studied engineering himself. So in a practical sense, that's what he's doing, which is um, I have a family member that works for, worked for the Department of Defense and is currently employed at NASA and hit and I consulted on a project with him years ago and it's one of the things that is part of how you submit something to the US government is you have to have every step of construction from beginning to end thought of and you have to have 
how would this actually work? You can't just have a great idea and not have all of the steps. Um, and so there's things called high concept. High concept is most of what science fiction is, is because the steps in between, there's, there's logic gaps or there's practical uh, engineering gaps that exist usually. So my issue is, is these fantasy films don't even use the practical low concept things that would fix that. It's like, oh, well, it's got this and it's got this. Right, but a fucking JDAM is designed to go through something like that. And if the. I'm thinking of Starship Troopers again. Uh, <laughs> it's just like the weapons they had there is like, what? Like, this is the future and we're still using weapons from fucking the 80s? I don't understand. And then at the end of the movie, we've got better weapons. Would you like to mow more? And they basically stuck an RPG in the end of the rifle. And I'm like, in the future, we're rediscovering RPGs. You guys fucking suck. <laughs> like, like, this is the fucking dumbest thing I've ever fucking seen. And we're going to have bubble armor to take on the, you know, uh, it's just, Jeff? we've got this poofy cotton armor we're going to attack spiky it, xenomorphs Jeff, with. Jeff, so what Jeff, you're hang on, hang on. Your next underrated sequel is Starship Troopers 2. That's been made. Starship Troopers is all the way into 6 or 7. Oh, oh, oh I know. Yeah, we're all very aware. Oh, I'm very aware. One of them kind of like, everything's like, ah, everybody loves a good porno. You yeah. know, that's the feeling you have. Oh, man. Have you seen the third one? Or have you what seen I... the fourth one? That's an animated movie. The, uh, the animated one actually was better... And it was more practical, and they actually had exosuits that made sense. I was going to say, the fourth animated movie was good. The fifth one was, eh, okay, that's a thing. There was a show years ago that got canceled called Space Above and Beyond that took space marines a little bit differently. Uh, so far, nothing is even close to Warhammer 40K. So when I say space marines, I never mean that, because that is a whole different level of fan geekdom, and I can talk about that for five or six hours. <laughs> I'm a huge war, uh, 40K fan, so... Yeah, that's, we're not talking about those space marines. Um, but this Space Above and Beyond was done well in the sense that they did a lot of practical physics, a lot of practical weaponry, and they were really honest with it, but people weren't connected to the story because Lord of the Rings hadn't happened yet. So, hmm. nice. so I, I know that that's a big jump, but yeah. uh, there's a lot of people that you talk to and they'll say, well, I just don't get uh, sci-fi or fantasy or anything that's not real. I just can't. No, I understand. You, no, no, you just watch shit sci-fi or horror. <laughs> it's like, well, you just never read when you were a kid, and you never well, had to think creatively for any reason, and you just kind of knuckle-drag through your life, so that's fine. Did I ever tell you guys about the yeah. uh, interview that um, Doug Lyman did with John Krasinski after Krasinski directed Quiet Place? Uh-uh. So he was talking about how he's never been a horror fan, but here he is directing a horror movie. Right. And so he started like watching a whole bunch of horror movies, and of course there are ones he didn't like, but he started finding the ones that he did like. The last so, year for me and what you guys yeah, have been trying to so get me to do. Yeah. He realized, oh, it's not that I don't like horror, it's that I just haven't found the horror movies that connect with me yet. Right. Which is what, what you guys don't know is Brandon and Zach and Mark, to some lesser extent, have been preaching this at me for the last couple of years. I've... Oh, and I got it from them. Don't, don't. Yeah, yeah, that's why I got it from Zach. From a lesser extent. Which you've actually known me for less than a year. In fact, today, uh, April 29th, the day we're recording this, this is actually one year to the day since I signed off of working on cruise ships. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hey, congrats, man. Yay. Yay. Happy anniversary, That was a Brandon. very tragic day for me. Why? Because I actually had to move. 
That was a fucking great day for you because I was helping you move. Don't even start yeah, that yeah, shit. You were smiling and laughing. And like you were fucking... Giddy. Zach was exercising demons when that was happening and not the kind of demons he likes. The I don't know. <laughs> the, 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 He'll the, get into that mythology later, the, the, I'm sure. The, the other ones. Yeah, the so bad we're, ones. We're going to leave... We're gonna leave that one alone. Yeah, yeah. the um, uh, you but guys just said a lot of things. You know, though, it, it's, that's something. It is opposed to other things. Um, uh, I actually love the quote by Wes Craven, um, who said, "You can have, you know, within within the realm of horror, you can explore any issue. Yeah. You're just gonna have it uh, jump out and grab you every fifteen minutes." But I mean, like, you know, you can really take that and you can explore any emotional issue, story issue, yeah. you know, within the con- uh, context fair, and actually. <laughs> Like we we talked about, you know, horror movies are really good at at exercising themes in the most literal possible way. Yeah, and I think sometimes that's more effective. Um, I learned that uh, really well in uh, society. Um, more than <laughs> just just listen to our other podcasts. Um, episode two, body horror. The uh, episode two, please check it out because I go on a fucking rant for about fifteen minutes, all about society. The day uh, Mark was traumatized. Oh, no, not as much as was. Mental breakdown here in the apartment. <laughs> he will never look at an asshole the same again. Uh, not that I do that on a regular basis. Um, I, the um, he will never look at an ass. <laughs> 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 Now, wait a minute. I worked on the William S. Burroughs project. I know about Naked Lunch and the talking asshole with Peter Weller. What the fuck are you talking about? Have you seen this movie? Nope. Society. He hasn't. Oh, my. uh, Jeff. Oh, my God. This is worse than a disembodied anus talking to Peter Weller in a car. I'm going to go get the Blu-ray artwork. Almost. There's literally a scene. Nope. Oh, Don't God. say it. Oh. I kind of want him to see it. Yeah, yeah you got to see it. it. It's one of those things you got to see. I, I, I'm sorry. I can't even get into detail about it. You have to see it. Um, and then you There's can There's no about amount it. of words that can explain what... Brandon, don't even show him the box art. Just just oh, hold off. Really? Yes. Show him the box art. No, 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 no. It has to be a complete... He can't see this coming. Go. Go away. To, go away. To, no. I, I can't even read that. Yeah, anyway... So, so I mean, Brett, Brennan, what was the quote that was written on the stage door? Okay. When they were filming so, the climactic in more than it was the one scene. So throughout, so so the climax of the movie, literally, always <laughs> the one. Um, I believe it was shot over like three days, and the director posted a sign on the outside of the door to the soundstage, and that sign read. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Really? Look, yes. yes. I've seen Wes freak out before. This was the most entertaining freak out I've ever seen in my life. Uh, just so you guys know, when Wes freaks out, it's bizarre and fun. Take it down. And I will say this, he is good at what he does. Wes, Wes is one of the best people. He He's reliable, he's talented, uh... He's just Wes. Yeah, and if you don't know him, for me for a shoot this past weekend, and he was a freaking rock star. You know you can trust him. You know he's going to work the whole time. He loves film. He loves what he does. Just don't insult Marvel. Oh, I, we, we did talk about his freak out on when we talked about society on the previous episode. <laughs> I you guys are so it, offended. That's it really funny. was a 
otherworldly experience. Like, and Zach saw the movie for the first time the same time Wes saw it. Like, I didn't even tell them what I was showing. I was desensitized. I I just thought it was fucking hilarious. It just so, so everything out was even funny. Wes worked on this movie. No, no, because no, it was done in the, the late eighties. We literally just shot in eighty nine. Re- no, wait, what shot in eighty eight. Okay. Released in America in ninety two. So you're saying this is a trash can of a film? No, I like it. Yeah, oh. it's oh. actually a good film. It's just no, has, what, what I'm saying is it just shows a butthole. No, no. don't say anything. No, just, you just have, you just have, <laughs> Brandon, no. <laughs> you have, am I lying? No, you're not lying. Um. You, so so you go in a butthole. So so, no. so, so, so the, the basic premise of this movie is is I can't believe I'm on a podcast where we're talking about theoretical buttholes. <laughs> dude, we talked about a comic called Come in Me. All right, we hold no bounds. Dude, that's not what it was called, Zach. <laughs> Wait, what was it called? <laughs> Come inside me. No. Either way, <laughs> that was the call. What is the call? Fucking show about. It was... <laughs> <laughs> we have a good time. I said <laughs> it was called Come into Me. Big fucking difference. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how that's different. They, it, well, that one guy had the song "Crash Into Me," which basically means the same thing, and um, he just didn't say "Come Into Me" because he couldn't because it wouldn't have sold as well. But no, and I, I, just, I, I think it would have sold better. Guys, you said it sounded interesting. The um, uh, yeah, no, we both thought you had a porn comic, and Dude, if you, you look, actually brought into an explanation about what it was. Here's the thing: if you read the title and look at the cover. This is some weird, fucked up porn shit right here. It does. It looks like it. You know what all of this sounds like? It sounds like what Chasing Amy wishes it could have been. <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired with Kevin Smith. I'm gonna, I'm gonna t- oh, man. If we can... Like, I've got so much shit to say to Kevin Smith. First of all, would you let someone else talk? <laughs> have you ever seen that guy try to have a conversation with somebody? Holy crap. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, I talk a lot, but Jesus Christ. It, it is something. I'm, I'm almost concerned. Like I am concerned. <laughs> like, I'm sure his wife hits him. <laughs> well, the, uh, oh my God. No wonder although, although after he had the heart attack, like, his whole perspective has gotten different, and he seems to be much chiller, like, life is way more serious. All the Wayne Gretzky philosophy stuff. I'm actually a huge Kevin Smith fan as not just a person but a filmmaker. He's the first one to acknowledge that if he tried to be what he is, now he would make it. Like, Clerks would have meant nothing in the modern landscape of a short film. Like, people have done the equivalent of that show now, and it's lost in the film ether. He knows he won the lottery. Uh, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that the guy stayed humble even with all the success he's had, and he's still out there trying to earn it. And he's in a weird spot too because Harvey Weinstein was his mentor and is now uh, public enemy number one in Hollywood. And now Kevin Smith, what's Kevin Smith gonna do? You know, the Weinstein's made him, and now he's fucked. At the end of the day, he's still my favorite comedy director. He did Jay and Silent Bob, which is my favorite fucking comedy movie of all time. Clerks he, 1 and 2. He did Ma fucking Rath, Tusk. Dog, T- Tusk was terrible. I like Tusk. Yeah, but he did. He had the balls to do that kind of movie. I mean, Kevin Smith takes what a movie? lot of risks. I don't know. I didn't I, I actually see uh, Tusk. But uh, uh, I liked it. Uh, there, where was the story, Brandon? The story was about a guy who wanted to turn another guy into a walrus. That's not a story. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. He had a goal. A24 doesn't give you a story, Brandon. 
The uh, anyway, we we can go on like three rants about it. Yeah, <laughs> clear. <laughs> so I thought you know, and, and also too, um, uh, you know, just back on our topic of of, right. of so, about about your. So the night that I showed West Society, it was Halloween. I was just going to talk about underrated uh, horror sequels. All right, we're going to go back to Society. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, but no, just to wrap up that story real quick. So I invited Wes and Zach over. It was Halloween night. I didn't tell them what I was showing them. I just already had it in the blue player and I yeah. just hit play and oh just Wes's freak out was amazing um, oh look up episode this. 2 of our podcast for the full story <laughs> and Jeff I hope to be showing you this movie sometime in the near future I well. would absolutely love to do some sort of event where Wes and myself and maybe even Mary and we're all in the same room and we record it and that kind of thing because when Wes goes on a rant about something it's fantastic it's it's one of the best things it's, yeah it's like conan what is best in life well wes is ranting yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, something we said about that <laughs> zach what is your underrated horror sequel You don't know. You don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So, so we're gonna... this is the guy who sits and edits on his machine and will literally chant like <laughs> while he's editing. He chants at his computer that's themed in red and talks about it raining in blood all the time, and he doesn't know uh, anything about this. Like you haven't thought about it. Most underrated, yeah, no, uh, really? underrated. So, as, we don't, all right. So I guess Jaws the Revenge. Oh God. <laughs> There okay. you go. He, he, he always does You this can't thing. make fun of me for mine now. <laughs> Look, Joseph Revenge is the world's greatest Christmas movie, okay? No, Zach, we've been through this. The world's greatest Christmas movie is Die Hard. No, Die Hard is for fucking basics. Fucking Christmas movie. Fuck you, yeah. man. It is a Christmas movie. I'll argue with you and my father over this. <laughs> it is the greatest Christmas movie ever. No, Joseph Revenge action is the greatest Christmas set. movie ever. At the time of Christmas. It, it is a Christmas, therefore, a Christmas movie. <laughs> it is an action Christmas movie. Just like Jaws is set during the event. Except of- that it's not themed for Christmas. There's no Christmas theme. Christmas movies have a Christmas theme. But it would absolutely not exist if it wasn't on Christmas. The plot would not would, would cease to function properly if it was not on Christmas. Let's be real honest. The plot with fucking Die Hard, the entire franchise, is a bit of a stretch. So, yeah. so, so what you're calling plot and sticking to is your sticking point. Is kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right. And Either it, way, ladies and gentlemen, Jaws of Revenge is the best Christmas movie. Yeah, just, just saying. Okay. Thank but you, why, thank you. Why do you consider Jaws of Revenge underrated, though? Why because everybody like hated it for some reason. But why do you like it? Because it was cheesy, awesome, and I got to see a shark kill things. Even if it was a very shitty mechanical shark, which was recently... Uh, some guy went in and re-digitally designed all the scenes with a realistic CGI shark, and the movie actually looks really good now. Hmm. Yeah, it's actually kind of fucking awesome. All Respect I have to, to say person. to that is you just like sharks killing things? Hoshima? What? Shut up. Nobody's Hushima. gonna understand that, Jeff! Hoshima? <laughs> I would like some context here. So Meg interviews... Uh, I finally saw the Meg, by the way. Did you see the Meg? Yeah, we saw the fucking Meg terrible. Overnight. Oh, but I thought it's just sharks killing things. Yeah, but here's the thing. You actually saw blood in this movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, like... Also, it's Jaws. I read the fucking book. The book was phenomenal. The book was like... 
it made me a bigger fan of Jaws. Like I've I've actually swam with sharks. Zach swam with sharks, even I if it was sharks. only for three seconds. I'm the only asshole. Right? Yeah, Mary has swam with sharks, not intentionally. Not into, okay, it's not confirmed. That could have easily been a dolphin. I don't think that was a dolphin, bro. The way she described it, it sounded like a dolphin. We, if we if we have Mary on the podcast, we will have her tell her story. Yeah, yeah. that story. Well, she does take a long time to tell stories, so it, it, that would be great. A video minute. Well, like, actually, yeah. Really, yeah. 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 No, That's definitely context. No, no dead air. Yeah, there would be. Ladies no. and gentlemen, this is the Mary story time with our host Mary. She will have a nice, soothing voice story oh, for you. Uh, Mouse burger voice. <laughs> 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 Never mind. <laughs> the uh, nope, <laughs> nope. That's a hard uh, nope, sir. That's hey, Mark, how's fun. the weather? <laughs> nope. <laughs> the uh, and actually, you know fun. what? That that shit works all the time. It, it's so effective. Yeah, anyway, and yeah, there's a lot of inside jokes happening right now. Uh, yeah, they're see, saying nopes because anytime Mary and I get into a conversation that she, that's a A to B uh, partner. Couple conversation heated, it gets heated. Yeah, Mark goes nope, gets up and walks out of the room. He literally says the word nope really loud and walks out of the room. And then Zach says, "Hey, Mark, how's the weather?" Because Zach can't help but poke the bear. <laughs> and then I poke back. The uh, and then it completely distracts from whatever Mary and I are talking about, and we both are like, "Okay." So neither one of us is, is you know, like we, we, we're not actually mad. We're just intent. We're both Leos, and so we sound like Leos. When we get into something, and, and we, that tends to... We've, we've broken up quite a few fights just by doing that. They're not big. fights. They're just discussions. <laughs> Loud discussions. <laughs> it's, either, it's either that or, or, oh, mama dad, I hate it when you fight. <laughs> that's, that's all it is. It's, it's often, you know, we're the boss of it, and we're figuring stuff out. So everybody that's in the room is like, wait, what are they talking about? Is it something bad? It's like, no, it's not something bad. I'm just really loud. <laughs> I have I have a look, uh, and you can't see me through the podcast. Where I use telepathy, Jeff. Well, I just I have a look the way my face is and stuff. If I if I have any kind of negative expression, I look serial killerish is what I've been told. I look like a kind of kind of look like a maniac. Um, so you fit right in with oh, the group, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, like so, I, so much. So I have this this not nice guy look to me and I'm not a small dude so it's kind of like some people get it afraid easy if I get upset uh, at least I've been told this numerous times by my wife who's 5'2 and, and, and she she was like you can't get mad I'm like okay I'm like but I'm not as big as my friends like my buddy Freddie is six foot seven. you know I'm not that big but it's big what enough are you doing what are you doing oh you? god now, see, Zach's not going to smile, so... <laughs> I mean, I have no idea what's going on. The, uh, no, sorry, Mark, Mark's trying to create reference for what I just said. The, uh, yes, yes, I am. The, uh... Did you have the heat on in here? It, it, it is a scotch, it's scotch warm in here. The, um... Well, Mark, uh, you're wearing a fucking sweater. The, uh, it's, it's my awesome white boy Mr. Rogers sweater. It is a Mr. Oh, the Mr. Rogers documentary, by the way. Oh, awesome. Cannot recommend... You saw it. Oh, fantastic. I, that, fantastic. like, changed the way... Zach, turn the heat off. <laughs> Such a good dude. Not Zach, Mr. Rogers. No! Uh, the, um, uh... Well, yeah, <laughs> fucking do it. I got a knife too, bitch. <laughs> it's yeah. gonna throw it in. <laughs> really? Don't don't make me go Joe Pesci. I, I, I will go casino on you. 
It's okay, little guy. <laughs> oh! oh. oh. <laughs> <Fun>. Fuck you. <laughs> so, so Mark is like, Level 10,000 Italian. <laughs> you almost won. You almost went there, too. You almost went country. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where my accent was going right there. The, uh, no, no, no. But he's, finish he's, it, finish it. he's like northern Italy, so he's blonde hair, blue-eyed guy, but super Italian. <laughs> the uh, And then my... My father's very, very Italian looking. His dad is also super Italian. Like it's, it's super and mega Italian. The uh, uh, Chicago classic Italian. Hey, you know, <laughs> two, 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 tree, tree, tree. And and, and Jeff is basically uh, is basically Italian. I, I've been a top adopted Italian into like five different families in this city. Mine, mine included. <laughs> yeah, Mark's included, and then and then you know, uh, there's like. I was told by a, a teamster the other day, I said, well, you know, I'm half Portuguese. He's like, oh, so Italian West. <laughs> I'm like, you know that Portugal's nowhere near Italy. He's like, yeah, it's the same thing. But it's a little bit of Spanish. Got it. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, no sé. <laughs> it's, 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 it's Italian people are so matter-of-fact. Like, yeah, 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 it's, 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 it's like Italian it. line. It's some kind of Italian. That's, that's, that's what it is. The, uh, you know, it's like, God. okay. The, uh, and then, you know, and also, Papa Conway's pretty much adopted the whole, uh, the whole yeah, fucking group. Wrote, anyway, yeah, right. The, um, uh, oh, you know, fun stuff. Fun stuff. Okay, so the, the underrated movie. Sequels. Sequels. <laughs> you know, you we are a podcast I did, I did do my, and, actually, um, uh, and actually, I probably will add in um, Scream 4. I was about to mention I, that one. I actually, I, a lot of people shit on that movie. I thought it was really enjoyable. Yeah. And funny enough, the same feeling I had when I was watching the first Scream, I had... When I was watching this scream, I was like, "Oh, like, like, like who is wow, it?" Wow, that's that's a pretty high recommendation because the the second one, I was done. I was like, "Oh, okay, so this is just going to be a, yeah, a, like, a turd they keep making, and I'm I'm out." You made, made it to the second one. one. I made it to the second. Oh wow! Like I'm the surprised. first one I is horror one. movies in general. The second one is about sequels. Third one's about trilogies. The fourth one's about remakes and reboots. And the way that it tackles it is just really interesting because you do have. This new character who's like the new um, Sidney Prescott, but you yeah. also have, you know, the original Sidney Prescott there as well. So it's just doing like sort of that reboot handoff thing before that became a thing in movies these days, but it's not really doing that. It's still a proper continuation of Scream. The thing for me with Scream is that the ending was so. Uh, the ending pissed me off. Like, okay. like I felt like the opening with Drew Barrymore was super strong, and then like the part where Rose McGowan gets killed, I like after that I was like, that's how you killed her. All of this tension, and you kill her in a garage door, and it's Rose McGowan. Fuck you guys, I'm done. The uh, I'm out. It, it, you know what though? In, 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 it actually it, that is my least favorite kill of the entire movie. It's like it was a garbage kill, it, and then the other guy stabs the other guy. Oh, we researched. Well, you can stab each other. Anywhere in the abdomen, you dipshit. That's like, well, you can stab somebody kind of in the liver, and they can fucking. If you go to a fucking hospital, it, Jeff is the hardest person to have disposition of disbelief. Like, why don't you tell him about zombies, Jeff? The, uh, why? 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 Why would you do that? Don't do that. Don't poke the bear. I, I have a poke. <laughs> I have a really quick summation of. Um, zombies are basically a necromancer's garbage throwaway 
character and they decided to build a whole genre of horror around it which is just bad science stacked on bad storytelling stacked on bad mechanics and people are all about it but like what would you do if there was a i said i'd wait 11 days until cellular respiration expired and all the zombies fell over dead you dumbass that's what i would do what do you mean what would i do nothing I would fucking have a Coke and a smile and shut the fuck up. <laughs> like thanks, the thanks, dumbest bro. shit ever. Not that type of podcast, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just saying that they, the way that cells work, the way that cytology works, uh, magic, okay, if, if you give me magic, we're talking Army of Darkness zombies or we're t- talking about Evil Dead zombies, that's different. We're talking about necromancy I, I can actually buy that more. But the science zombies and the levels... Well, they actually explain it because the military underestimated... It's like, you don't know shit about the military and you're saying that they would have underestimated zombies to the level that the zombies would have been able to overrun them. These are slow zombies in the book that everyone wants to fucking reference. Where the military takes on a big wave of zombies and doesn't figure out that fucking the way your cells are fed... You would just starve the zombies and it would be over. I, I mean, it's not... It, it, how are they eating? How are they staying... How is the fuel working? Is anyone ever fucking... Mitochondria. Oh my god. I'm sorry. Basic biology, folks. It's basic fucking... I mean, you learn this shit in high school and you're gonna tell me, Oh, there's a... We engineered a special vi... Oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> If Brandon's just smiling because he's going to say, the movie has to happen, Jeff. You have no evidence to support that. I have no evidence to support that you're going to say that or yeah. that that scientifically there's volumes and universities full of evidence. The right. first one. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, no, there's, yeah, plenty, of, there's plenty of tre- data points and trends to, to, to assume like, oh he's going to say that. Yeah, but see, that's why everyone got mad at Zach when he brought up zombies is because I, I can't help this. It... it drives me crazy it's it's like it's like a tick with him it's it, it's okay now do for, skeletons oh, i mean anything is better than the food uh, hold on, hold on. i just can't stand the show the fucking walking dead and yes i know i worked with vincent gonzalez who was the ad on the walking dead series i just why would you be on that show and walk past prison guards in full fucking body armor zombies transfer the fucking virus or they kill you by skin contact and there's body armor i'm not going to put any of it on and i'm just going to walk around in a halter top shut the fuck up i've got a crossbow because (laughs) it still runs out of bullets dickhead pick up a fucking gun like a man you little turd (laughs) all right Okay. I, I was in Veritas. I have it written on the side of my dick. Okay, all right. So we need to move on guy. to our next topic now, guys. All right. Setting motorcycles on fire in a zombie apocalypse. No, 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 no. I'm yeah. talking about we got to just move away from the zombies topic. Okay. okay. I see, that's your fault. No, 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 I know. Now for our next topic. Can you explain the difference between a universe and a galaxy? Oh, <laughs> uh, <Fuck> you, Zach. <laughs> you know what? Hold on. Okay, Every- okay. I'm going to reference Twitch here. Uh, everyone go check out Skyless on Twitch, and her and her friends that work in the physics community will explain to you how ridiculous it is to make the comparisons to, oh, a third of the sentient life in the universe. You can't even conceive of that. 
It's oh uh, my god. Every, like, everybody has. I'm not gonna. That's that's a fucking full hour rant right so, there. So so in case you guys didn't, didn't know, every single one of us in this group has our has our thing. Trigger points. Has yeah. our trigger points. All trigger. of us have ADD that can't stand. Oh, that can't stand. Uh, yeah, this is true. Matt, you know, mine is 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 my rant on Max Payne. Um, uh, Zach's is anything associated with Ridley Scott, which we've mentioned yeah. several times. Yeah. Why don't you explain to us how? Boop, boop, well, I already uh, did in the last podcast. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I, this I, has been this I, demon's I, been I exercised. Did, I did get him at least, I think, somewhat to at least understand that Prometheus is almost heaven next to Alien Covenant. No, it's not. <laughs> why, why, why? Why? Both of you are assholes. Uh, Both of you. <laughs> For for that for what you did there and then what you just did there, the, uh, Mark when he says there he's pointing at Jeff. Yeah, yes, yes, and he's talking about the galaxy thing. Yeah, there's there's just some things that you just don't do. You, you gotta do. come up. You gotta come with a trigger warning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not mention Max Payne, the, the movie. Ooh, fucking. All right, quick thing with that. Um, <laughs> this is you. no longer a horror podcast, yeah, just so you just, know. No, it's a very fast thing and everything else. I'm a massive fan of the, uh, the video game. What they did with the movie is a total fucking abomination. A total abomination. They fucked up the plot. They fucked up the whole th- story about the drugs. They just fucked up the general story and the flow of, uh, of everything. And I don't know. End of rant. End of rant. <laughs> they back to horror movie sequels. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. And I'm just real quick. I'm looking at what else the director of Max Payne has done. <laughs> Jesus Christ! And oh, I am you got some not... winners here, don't we? Ooh. Uh, so he did Behind Enemy Enemy Lines. No, that's, a, that's an okay. He movie. did the Flight of the Phoenix remake. That's uh, not so good. Hell, he did the remake of The Omen. That's really bad. He There's... did a good day to die hard. But wait a minute, oh. did he do all of this before or after? Most of that was after. Uh, well, that's why he did all that stuff. After. Okay, no, wait a no, minute. So, so you can't get mad at him for the stuff that he did after Max Payne because if the studio considered his, if they gave him the, Max the, Payne the only, and they the didn't one, like him, the only one that was after Max Payne was Good Day to Die Hard. Everything else was before. Really? Okay. Yeah. Oh wow. Wow, so then that is that is yeah, that, that's, that's not good. Yeah, that's that, that's the uh, that's the nail in the coffin there, isn't it? Because if it's after, then it's punishment for Max Payne. Mm-hmm. If it's before, then it's a bad studio choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the order it went was behind enemy lines, fly the Phoenix, Omen, Max Payne, Good Day to Die Hard. I didn't hate behind enemy. Lines. Actually, has one good movie in there. It's by it's and behind that's it, the first one. It's behind enemy lines, and actually, it's not bad. Yeah. At all, it's a, it's a pretty good movie. The um, uh, so anyway, back to your horror movie sequels that are underrated. All right, so uh, probably my most underrated horror sequel is oh. a little movie called Halloween Three: Season of the Witch. Oh, for the love of all things unholy! Oh, God. I liked it. Yeah, we know you did. I know it's actually uh, my favorite of the Halloween movies. Um, to be fair, that's not a hard. Ugh. The Halloween movie. It's I, like the Hills Have Eyes 27. We're just going to do more monster rape in a different situation. And I, I really like, so it's the one that doesn't have Michael Myers in it, infamously so. Um, in fact, when the movie was about to be released, the director, Tom Lee Wallace, was trying to convince the studio to take the Halloween name off of it because he knew people would be expecting Michael Myers and that would negatively affect the movie. So it's kind of that Catch-22 thing, where it's like the Halloween name got the movie made, but the Halloween name is also what trashed it upon its initial initial release. Um, 
for what they tried to do with it, I think they did succeed. Um, so John Carpenter, after killing off Michael Myers in Halloween 2, which John Carpenter hated writing Halloween 2. He did not want to bring Michael Myers back at all, ever. He actually wanted the Halloween series to be with each succeeding movie to be its own separate Halloween themed story. So like, it's a it's a different it's a different thing completely. It's yes. almost like uh, Tales, Fantasy. Tales from the Crypt. So it's a yeah. different if it's a different thing every time. It's an, an, exactly. it's an anthology. He wanted yeah. to turn Halloween into an anthology. Um, they wanted a Michael Myers sequel. That's what brought about Halloween too. Of course, he killed off Michael Myers then. So then that's just like, okay, you can do your... Well, at the time, he was dead, Jack. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, they let him do whatever he wants. So he wrote Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Um, Eventually, there was another writer that uh, built upon that, and then Tommy Lee Wallace also built upon that. I can't remember what resulted in it, but basically Tommy Lee Wallace ended up being the sole credited writer. But John Carpenter was a writer for it. Um, Did, Did you see the last one? Yes. Yeah. What it, did was, you, it was good. It was I good. very I, much enjoyed I, it. I, 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 I it had enjoyed one it. stupid moment, maybe two. Uh, it had one stupid moment and really a few moments stupid that just moment. didn't quite... Because yeah, yeah. I, I, the promos, I actually wanted to see it, and I'm not a fan of Halloween, and I was looking at that, it's like, oh, that's cool. It, it is good. Because by it was very Silence of the Lambs-ish to me. It was by far the best Halloween movie. A few logic gaps that I still... But overall, I'd give it like... It was a very eight, solid eight out of ten. It's a it's a solid eight for me. Eight, eight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd actually put it a little bit more of an eight point five, and it's just for Jamie's performance. She did a fantastic. Well, of course she's going to get well, a fantastic she, performance. The thing is, is Jamie Lee Curtis has been underrated for years uh, because she did all those horror movies, and it was all she was the big boobs girl. She's what uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is now. What Shannon Elizabeth is. Or has which, been. Which she mm. she didn't show her tits until trading uh, trading places. Right. Um, uh, and everything else. I know this because of Scream, actually. The because uh, <laughs> they're literally and, a line in the movie. Right, which is which is interesting because you look at what Jamie Lee Curtis has tried to do with her career. You look at Shannon Elizabeth, and it's an interesting. Even though Shannon Elizabeth didn't start in horror, it's that interesting career path where the female acting stereotype stuff is is still very much. Um, it follows the same kinds of rules. Yeah. You know, it didn't go away just because of Me Too. Why doesn't Shannon Elizabeth get work as much as she should? Is she, well, she, she can't act. How do we know? When, when, what role is she not getting? You know, is that a Me Too kind of thing? What's the deal there? You know, there's all these actresses, again, Rose McGowan, who just fucking, they seem like they're on a trajectory and then poof, gone. Why? The uh, the girl from Transformers, who was the blonde-haired, blonde-haired Australian chick. From the like, third one? From the first one. First one. Way past fairy eye transfers. And, and you got to keep that whole mouth-brain thing in check or you're off the team. You know, remember she's the one that discovers the NORADs getting hacked or something I like honestly that? Honestly, I haven't seen the first one since it was out in theaters. Well, nobody remembers her because everyone's focused on Megan Fox. And she's now the best friend in Jessica Jones. Yeah. But literally, there's this massive gap. Like, what happened to her? Why did Megan Fox blow up and she didn't blow up? Hmm. You know, her acting chops were better than Megan's on that show. What was the problem? You know, and there's 
I, it just it's just a random observation. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about. It just it's you're talking about Jamie Lee Curtis and how well she did, and it's like, why isn't she a bigger deal? You know, what did she do that made her career be where it is and not somewhere else? I mean, not everybody can be Meryl Streep. Okay, great. Isn't there another tier underneath that where some of these other actresses can kind of be, and why aren't they there? You know? The, uh, I always wonder about that shit. Like, it's, it's where... What's going on that there's all these different levels? Somebody explained to me once, well, it's the agents. The agents brokering deals with the studios. If she switched agencies or somebody in that relationship screwed other things up, and it's why people are assigned to be in movies and it's got nothing to do with the art and it's got nothing to do with the business e- either it's yeah. just relationship politics always gets in the way and it, well, there we go conversation killed again no, 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 <laughs> it's no, at no. least three no that's actually um uh that's actually and actually that gave it gives me an idea for what my question is going to be but but brendan do you have any other any other sequels uh, yeah, that I, you want well yeah, i just yeah. want to finish off with halloween go, three real quick go ahead um so yeah, John Carpenter wanted to turn the series into its own anthology series, and I think Halloween 3 was done very well. Um, if anything, out of the first three Halloween movies, it's the one that looks most like a Halloween movie. Yeah. Like, Halloween really has nothing to do with the first two movies other than that's what it's taking place at. Whereas Halloween 3 is just drenched in Halloween imagery, in the feel of Halloween I love Tom Atkins as the main character because it was this is man at time was like the main characters in horror movies are bratty teens. He's a freaking alcoholic, divorced dad who's go trying to uncover this conspiracy that's been described as the makers as witchcraft bring comes into the computer age, and it's just really interesting. It is of course goofy at times. Um, the low budget adds to its charm but yeah i like the character in it i like the imagery of it um it, it's a very one-of-a-kind horror movie like there's really nothing else like it and i wish more movies took risks like this movie did but, and this goes with an aesthetic theme that brandon has i think where he he's you specifically mm-hmm. Uh, like the flawed character. Yeah. You connect with that flawed character when you're watching a story get told. If the main protagonist is a is a flawed hero, uh, preacher, for instance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like that whole... Yeah, uh, rest in peace. One more season. Yeah, that's it. One more season. And, and because that's of, all and, it needs. And because of The Walking Dead, we have to wait for that and also Better Call Saul. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which I'm not happy about at all. Um, but yeah, some other underrated horror sequels. Um, I really like Psycho 2. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that one. I have, but it's, not. it's 22 years after the original Psycho. Norman Bates is released from the mental institution, and it's basically him trying to put his life back together. But then weird things start happening around town, and so there's this question of is it Norman? Is it not Norman? Is it somebody trying to frame Norman? Is it somebody that's trying to make Norman go crazy again? Like, it's just... It's a really good mystery. And it's a really cool character study, too, of this person who who's murdered people and has essentially been mentally rehabilitated and he's trying to put his life back together. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I really like Psycho 2. Uh, Friday 13th Part 3. 
I think is a pretty underrated horror sequel. Really? I think it's underrated. You would say it's underrated? I would say it's underrated. I disagree, but all right. All right. Um, I just remember Zach's been bringing me through the Friday 13th series because of the major horror franchises. That's the only one that I haven't seen all the movies. Um, I'm at the point where 7 and 8 are the only two I have not seen now. And they are two of the best. 7 is my favorite, personally. I love 7 to death. Um, 3 might actually be my favorite upon this rewatch. Like, I used to say 6 was my favorite, but... I don't know, just something about us rewatching 3 now, just something about it just really resonated Brandon, with me. Here's the thing. You didn't see Part 3 with 3D glasses before. Yeah. When you and see it with 3D glasses, it becomes a whole other experience. And you realize what shots work and what shots don't. Oh, yes. <laughs> they, they just made me think of something. I, f- I heard last week that they're rebooting Candyman. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Jordan has been happening for a producing while. it. Yeah, um, I'm excited for it. Original Candyman was 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 filmed here. I mean, it was based here. Yeah, I don't but, know if it was, and it was filmed Tony here. Todd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony yeah. Todd, because it's all about Cabrini Green. The right. um, uh, you know, so I'm not sure that's a character you could replace with another actor, but we'll see. Well, Tony is still uh, uh, he can still do the role. I know damn well he can, but it's just are they going to use him or just completely just go? Bloop? Yeah. We shall see. I hope he, they bring him he's back. He's still ready to go too. Like I, because uh, he was in a very poor, actually not poorly made movie, but it was just a wasted movie last year. What the hell was it? Hellfest. Oh yeah, such a wasted movie. We we got to hang out with him at C two E two a few years ago. Well, that was awesome. Me uh, and Mary were working a booth with him, Ernie Hudson, and Michael Massey, rest in peace, um, who were all in the Crow. And it was actually the 25th anniversary of The Crow. And so those guys were all together in the booth, and, and they were all worked on that movie, of course. And I was talking to Tony about Candyman, and, you know, he's signing Candyman posters and stuff. And and he's like, yeah, I mean, I would love to keep going with that. The fans are here. It's interesting to see the fan bases of um, all of the shows that those guys are known for. Michael Massey, of course, he was... Um, he the last big film that people might recognize he was fun boy in the crow and he's actually the person who um he shot brandon lee uh he had the gun and it was the scene where um he jumps into the bedroom window and fun boy shoots him and says don't don't you ever fucking die Mm -hmm. and that's that is right when brandon lee did die um and Michael talked about that stuff, and now Michael has since passed, but he was supposed to be given a, an entire character and a whole thing in the Spider-Man universe. Um, he was going to be one of the main bad guys in Spider-Man, but he, the franchise got rebooted. Yeah, and it's the Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. And, it's, yeah. and he was and it, the guy in the shadows in the, Man in the, the credits of the first Amazing Spider-Man. Actually, fun. And he had a bunch of stuff that he was telling us. They said they contacted him. The studio was calling him, and I was his handler on that thing. And so he's, he's taking studio calls in the middle of signing autographs and stuff, and I had to be sure to... He actually was fluent in a bunch of different languages, had been classically trained in theater... And so had Tony, so has Ernie Hudson, and all three of these guys had amazing stories. And they all wanted to work on movies together with each other, and it was like the the bond between these three guys because of The Crow was incredible. And you got a, I got a sense from Tony specifically about Candyman that he's like, man, that could go, and I don't know why it hasn't been done more. He's like, you got to think about it. I'm the only 
African-American bad guy at my level that's a horror character. You know, and he's like, we could go that way more. And he's like, I just don't understand why it's not. You know, yeah, he, he, Tony, he's a really cool guy. I mean, he's yeah. humongous, but he's, he's a, a cool good guy. Dude. He's a great actor, and the movies are phenomenal. I that, love that, Yeah, he's easy to work Man with. In particular, it was creepy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I first watched it, like, I remember the first time I watched Candyman, it was on Amazon Prime. I was essentially living in my dorm room, so I was watching on my tiny laptop screen with yeah. my headphones on. And even then, at such a small screen it was creeping me out the um and actually the, and and now that i was thinking about like one of the first time i one of the first movies i watched him was the rock yeah the um uh, you know with nicholas cage you know you don't just you know how this shit works and everything it's like do you know how this shit works and pull out a fucking knife and he's <laughs> massive in that movie massive in that movie he just built like a shit brick house um uh, the um and i but i love that movie it's my favorite michael bay movie and actually everybody's favorite michael bay movie <laughs> um, so should I list off my final underrated sequels and yeah please, please go okay so Discovered Psycho 2 Friday 13 3 I really liked Final Destination 3 the one with the roller coaster huh? uh, the first three Final Destination movies were really fucking good for me it's one and three the first you didn't like the second one the first one's I fantastic. didn't really care for the second one really like, it's not bad but it's just kind of eh, it's a shrug to me uh, oh okay I loved it nothing more, more nothing I mean, less the, the first one was great because it was such a, a new a, idea a, a new idea yeah. an original concept speaking of Tony Todd he was in those movies yeah no too. he was you know so kind of the Oracle like character I guess you could say in a way sure yeah he was Morpheus Sure, kind of, but not really. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll go with that. Life, life begins with choice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, did you uh, did you choose to stay on that plane, or did you not choose to stay on that plane? So, question for Final Destination Three: When you inevitably got it on DVD, did you get the interactive version, or just I never had it on DVD? So I'm curious. I'm actually curious uh, how that worked. So, some people, no matter what you do, they still die. Yeah. Like uh, the two girls in the ba- the sunbathing tubs. The choices for that were either. They both fry in those things, or one of them falls out, dies on the glass, I remember correctly, while the other one fries to death. So that's that. Um, For the guy who gets drilled in the back by the motor, Mm -hmm. either you save him in time, like he actually survives, or he still gets drilled by the motor. And then everybody else, it's just like, you know when that sign falls down at the guy at the end? Does he die on the left side, or does he die on the right side? There really was no... I'm just like, that's it? (laughs) And then those are like the biggest choices. Mm -hmm. I think there was a you more like you can save what's her name sister like instead of I don't know that thing flying into her yeah. eye or whatever I think you could save her but I can't remember exactly well yeah I thought that was fun that's a neat idea I and mean, it sounds like the choices themselves you know, yeah, you, to be you know it's but... the precursor to the interactive movies on PlayStation slash Telltale oh wait Telltale's gone Mark did our phones have a baby like where the fuck did another phone come from <laughs> um uh, yes they did Jeff holy the, shit yeah, um, uh, this, this is actually my other phone how many phones do you fucking have I actually have three look uh, look he's nowhere near as bad as Matt is alright the um I have uh, I have one, uh, this is my Stand Stand topic, I think gentlemen. I fucking know a drug dealer that has less phones than this guy the, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I have freaking two more movies on my list. We're oh, okay, there, sorry. Right? Keep going, yeah. Um, so yeah, Final Destination 3 is a really fun one. Exorcist 3. I still need to have freaking interesting I need yes, to watch the rest of that. We need to fucking binge that at some point. Yeah, so. Exorcist 3 is a very... Was that the comedy one? No. Uh, Which one did you say was so stupid it was hilarious? Two? Two is so stupid it's stupid. And then there's the two versions of the prequel, which are just kind of baffling. Uh, but three... There's a prequel? There's two versions of the prequel. What year? 
04 and 05. Oh, God. So what happened was they hired Paul Schrader to write and direct. They didn't like his version, so they completely scrapped the movie, hired Rennie Harlan to literally shoot an entirely new movie. So you bas- they basically just Kevin spacey them before the Kevin Spacey. Ouch! <laughs> and so they released Exodus the Beginning, directed by Rennie Harlan, got terrible reviews so then they released the first version that was shot (laughs) wow yeah let's see how this goes out and it's not like oh a few reshots here no they are two completely different productions oh my god that's happened more than once the i know good hollywood is just so good at wasting fucking money That's stupid shit. But no, Exodus 3 is, I mean, the plot itself isn't anything memorable, but it does have its moments of genuine creepiness. Um, Particularly, I don't want to give out spoilers because I do think it's worth as much of an Again, I do want to watch these movies at some point, so. Yeah, as much of an okay movie that it is, um, I do think you should go in cold because of those moments like there is a moment of something on a ceiling and just the way it was shot was really creepy and then there's the um the hospital scene which a lot of people consider to be the single greatest jump scare in movie history um have you seen it jeff the single greatest jump scare in movie history is a big thing to say it's not my personal but there are people that have called it that and it is definitely up there I mean, what's the biggest jump scare anybody in this room can think of? Dino Crisis? I'm, go- I'm going to Jaws. Really? Wait. I mean, I don't remember any jump scare. I mean, when the uh, shark comes up and everything else. I think he's whole... talking about the head with the... Under- oh, yeah, that, um, yeah, yeah. That's the only one you, I can you, think you of. You remember that when a fucking pool? Yeah, but the whole thing about Jaws was tension. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. It's oh, yeah. building up, building up, and building up. You see it up. Oh, fuck! It's not a jump scare classic, but it's the first thing that jumps. Yeah. Well, here's head. the thing. It's only because of the really loud shriek that comes in. It's yeah. not even because of the head. Like, if a shark actually ca- if the shark actually came The sound up, design that- is half of a movie. Yeah. Especially a horror film. Yeah, so, no okay, so you're talking about this is the number one jump scare I, I don't know if I'd put it as my number one. I'm just saying other people. Like, if you read Jump Scare Top Ten lists, like, I believe Watch Mojo actually did crown it the number one jump scare in a horror movie. Huh. Um, it's just a really well done movie. And in fact, also um, on the Trailers from Hell YouTube channel, uh, which is run by director Joe Dante, uh, there was an episode where they had Josh Olsen, the writer, the screenwriter of History of Violence, talk about Exorcist 3. And he also gave very high praise to the hospital scene of oh. Exodus 3. Um, so yeah, Exodus 3 is, overall it is just an okay movie, but it does have those couple moments of creepy genius. Yeah. Um, we'll need to go through them at some point. And then another one that I don't really want to spend much time on, uh, my last one is Phantasm Ravager which is just the big conclusion to the Phantasm series. That's the thing with the little ball, right? Yes. And actually, for a later episode, I do want to bring you guys through the Phantasm series, so I'm not going to say much about it, but it was a really fun conclusion to the series. And what I like about the Phantasm series as a whole is each sequel is completely different from the last movie. So it's not like... 
a formulaic horror series where every degree sequence is a copy of the original it's no phantasm 2 is different from phantasm phantasm 3 is different from phantasm 2 phantasm 4 is different from the first three and phantasm 5 is different from the i first know four. nothing about this is that except that when i was a kid the box art for it i would always look at the little ball and my brother and i would play this game where we would take different things from uh we used to call this paper games when i was mm -hmm. a kid but it, it's basically D D is the structure but you could take anything from anywhere and say, I want this thing or this thing or this thing. And I always took the ball from Phantasm and said, I have one of those, a telekinetically controlled ball with a fucking corkscrew in it. That so that's that. Drill your brains out. It's, Whatever. I mean, yeah. why does he have a corkscrew and not just a fucking hammer or what? what's with the ball? Was that an anal bead that he just has put knives in? I don't know what it oh, is. Oh, we don't. <laughs> oh, no, 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 Brandon, no. Uh, <laughs> but no, actually, the way that the silver ball came from is that was based off something from the writer-director's dreams. And that is something that I do like about the series as a whole. It is a very dreamlike series. It's a very trippy series. Same thing with James Cameron with Terminator. Yeah, it's just... It's a very unique series, and it's... Where did the music the, come from? That's what I'm with about. the exception of the second one, which was done by Universal, the entirety of the Phantasm series is an independent film series, and so the creators got to do it their way, and they got to finish it, too, over the course of multiple decades. Huh. It's not quite as bad as... What was that fucking movie? Anaconda versus... Lake Placid that oh, we were fucking watching. Oh, God. <laughs> the, uh... that's, that's my encouragement that if those guys could get funding and make a movie that got theatrical distribution, we have a, we have hope. Dude, if the fuckers at Sharknado could get funding and distribution. Yeah, but, yeah, but Sharknado is like a cheese thing. It's like the Rocky Horror Picture Sharknado was made by the <laughs> Asylum, who made such hits as Alien vs. Hunter and Transmorphers. They just got lucky. Like, they were making crap long before Sharknado. Sharknado was just an unfortunate Dude, lottery. Dude, it was winner. like, um, uh, fucking, uh, what was that studio that made all the shit films? Canon? Or, um, uh, like, they made Superman, uh, four. Canon. Canon. Yeah, yeah, Canon. Like, literally, uh, uh, they, the, the, all they did was produce shit. And, like, they, <laughs> like, they, that was their mission. There's a whole documentary about it. Really highly recommend it and everything else. It literally... It, they figured out it, it's it's almost like the fucking producers, like yeah. like they figured out they could make more money with as long as they kept the fucking ball rolling. Right. And they and they they before their film was released, they were already in production in the next one. If they kept the fucking ball rolling and everything else, they figured out they could keep making shit. It's because film finance is so lopsided in how it's explain to financiers how the studios control things that that whole mechanism is uh complicated unnecessarily and there's these massive tax incentives from the federal government that basically mitigate all the risk but nobody like i've maybe run into three producers ever in my entire life that know about those tax credits three ever the other people will go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they're, they're all thinking about the state tax incentives. And I'm like, you guys know about the federal tax incentive that's been around since 96. And they're like, no, what's that one? And I'm like, you've got to be on drugs, right? You can type that into Google and it pops up. The, the section of legislation it is. Cat. 
The cat just got really pissed at me. The official nightmares cat has spoken. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he has. Yeah, he wants me to stop talking about film finance. That pisses yeah. me off. <laughs> no, no, no. It pisses you off, Jeff. It does piss me off. It's 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 because it's it's Un- stupid it's that un- it, that it's- more films are not financed correctly, and then garbage gets financed, and it's like. What's what's the difference here? Oh well, it has a proven model, and you'll see this film. It doesn't have a proven model. It's just garbage. A lot of times they're throwing crap on the wall, waiting for it to stick. Because, like Mark said, they're making money somewhere else. They have a distribution contract they have to fulfill, so they're just putting something out because they already have distribution secured. So as long as they have a placeholder there, any money they make is is profit. Uh, because they're the way the money has worked at that point. Everyone's already made their cash back, so anything that makes a single dollar is now in the black. So it doesn't matter what it is, but instead of spending any kind of time finding a good film to put in that spot, they're going to have someone's cousin's sister's uncle's roommate make a film because he's always wanted to do a feature where here you go. So they're passing around favors, and if you're not in that favor circle, oh well, they don't care because they've already made their money. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they need to make four films that are, in the, that are positive, good films to cover the 10 that they're going to make for this particular section of time or for this section of the budget so the the other six films can be anything. If they've gotten their four already for the year, then those other six are, are all gravy. They're all bonus. So that can, oh, we can be this, it can be that, it can be this. And if you're not in that circle again, well, why am I going to finance your movie when I can finance my little brother's movie? Or, or you know, I can finance any one of our films. Why am I going to finance somebody's film that I don't know? Nepotism. It's it's so far beyond that. It's just laziness. It's a, it's a lack of desire to see quality films made because there's no financial motivation. And, and all it takes is one is one venture capitalist that's that's a fan of film that figures it the whole fucking thing out, and then the whole system collapses. <laughs> well, I mean, one venture capitalist figures it out, and what you get is a studio, and then you know all of a sudden Disney shows up and takes over everything, and, and you know. All of a sudden, Universal shows up in the 90s and takes over everything because they're backed by GE. Why? Because they figured this model out. Even though like, it's like only, what, ten, 1% of GE's budget? Oh, it's not anymore. I mean, they, they, sold, they sold it a long time it's ago. It's a rounding error. Yeah, right. It's, 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 it's literally, they lost half of their trucks or something. I mean, it's, yeah. it's nothing to their overhead. But, but you look at this whole thing, like, film finance is not scary. It's just... It's not unnecessarily convoluted and it's getting less and less scary with the modern distribution channels that we have with digital it's even, um, it's even easier now well it's not i don't know if it's easier but it's not convoluted yeah there's not as much bullshit in the way um but digital is only one window of distribution there's nine windows of distribution at least and and you know the life of a film when you're putting it in a perspective is 10 years at least so it's like, well, if it's 10 years, but really it's 100 years because we're still watching films from the black and white era that are 100 years old. Yeah. You know, and those those movies are technically still paying out a dividend. They're still paying out to the actors' families or estates that were in those films, depending on what the legal is. But there's still a financial life for those things. So technically, if you invested in that, you should be getting a little green envelope that's your residual check. It's fucking... It's... it's, it's the. <laughs> Um, uh, they asked Einstein one time, you know, is there is there a uh, element of mathematics that you don't understand? He said, yes, compound interest. Yeah, have no fucking idea. And that's why. <laughs> that's 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 also why he pretty much died broke. 
The um, uh, compound the, interest and fucking how, what a derivative is. Yeah, they are, yeah, and the um, or or how or how people can get away with well. Yeah, well, that, that's two thousand and eight. That's they, a different podcast. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, <laughs> say that. <laughs> Trigger warning. <laughs> you can just say two thousand and eight. Yeah. Like, oh, oh. <laughs> oh my god, my four hundred one k is gone. The um. Uh, <laughs> All right, so uh, question on the podcast. Um, uh, you know what? I I, I actually was, there's a lot of good ones I could I could do. Um, uh, the, um, um, actually, you know what, I, just as a good segue into talking about, because we talked about film, you know, everything else, and film finance, and we're obviously going to talk about film production, um, I would love, I'll keep my other one, I'm going to keep, um, favorite horror movie deaths for next podcast, but I think, because, spoiler alert, uh, yeah, spoiler alert, um, I think, because Jeff's here, because he, he has a few, um, uh, we're going to talk about, um, Personal, uh, fun slash crazy slash weird or memorable experiences on set. Whether oh, you got a Jesus. whether you got a crazy story, uh, um, uh, you know, bizarre situation. Um, I, the oh uh, my, Fuck. you know, I, I, I I'm <laughs> challenging everyone. Everyone went, oh, there's so many, there's so many to choose from. The um, uh, so and I and I know there's a wealth of, of stories and knowledge here. Um, uh, you know whether it's bad, good, indifferent, funny, um, uh, you know stressful. The um, uh, because obviously we got a we got a story to tell about our production, and I wanted to go tell some stories. About I'm gonna some. go with one, like I actually was. There are a lot of stories I've told you guys, um, and I actually was telling quite a few of them over this past weekend on a shoot. But I just remembered one that I haven't talked about at all with you guys. At least I don't think I have. So I'm going to tell you guys a new story coming for me. Start time. And it's, uh, um, it was just one of the most, so it was a 48 hour film festival. Uh, (laughs) Um, everybody, those are hard. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, which I've talked about with you guys, the uh, the second 48-hour film festival that I did, which is infamously the only set where I've ever yelled at anybody, um, but the year before that, I was on a team, and so what happened was one of the actresses that was in my senior film, uh, she was Facebook messaging me, and she asked, hey, I'm going to join a 40-hour film festival team, do you want to come with and join it too. And I was like, yeah, sure. It sounds like fun. Um, and the, uh, the team leader just didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. Um, like the way, like I remember the genre we got was sci-fi and it's like, he just couldn't decide on a story. He couldn't decide on how to use the object. Um, lines were cut from the script like the actress who was on who brought me on like i don't know why but all of her character's lines were just cut so she basically just became a featured extra um wow wow wasn't that good wow what a dick um if you do that on a sag show there's massive consequences yeah um we were filming at one of the actors apartment uh and it got to a point so this is a non-union show then no um, because it was a forty-hour film festival. Um, yeah, I see. yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, it got to a point where it's like there were multiple people yelling at him at some point, 
and I was just kind of falling asleep there because like I had nothing <laughs> to do. Um, but I also remember that one of the actors, and this was just one of uh, so one of the actors, he was very much concerned with. So I want a kissing scene, so I can put a kissing scene in my reel. I also want a scene where I'm handling guns, because I want a gun scene for my reel. Like, he just kept requesting all this different stuff that he wanted specifically for his reel, and the team leader kept trying to accommodate all those things on top of everything we needed for the 40-hour film festival requirements. Was the actor some kind of big deal? Or did no. He... Why was the team leader kissing his ass so hard? I don't know. Ugh. Exhausting. But yeah, and of course I was the, and I'm doing the air quotes here, yeah, yeah. writer for that he assigned for this one. And it was like, I'm just making stuff up at this point. And of course, most of the stuff I wrote didn't even get put on screen. I don't even know if the final film got finished. Oh, that's um, tough. That's always hard when that stuff happens. In yeah. a world where dragons rule. Um, like, I'm, I'm trying to remember specifics here. But I, I just remember that it was just a very frustrating experience. Like, it's easily the most frustrating experience I've had working with an actor. Because he just wanted stuff added specifically for his reel. And, oh yeah, I remember that with the gunshots in... I did see an edit of the finished. I don't know. I don't know if it was the finished thing, but at least I saw a rough cut. But the and Zach, you would be proud of this. The digital effects that were added for the bullet holes. Uh, so there are digital bullet holes in one of the actresses, and there are the same black bullet holes in the glass of the window. Oh, bro. Oh. <laughs> and watch Zach have an aneurysm. Well, that's not how that works. The, uh, no <laughs> that's shit. not how the force works. Uh, just oh that's not up. how a lot of things work, Jack. Yeah. I um, just can't fucking with that shit. So on, a, on a scale of, of can't I'm you I'm guessing even... they were the same JPEG images? Oh, yeah. Probably. Probably. Yeah, like, did they have squared, like, little white marks it, around the it, squares? You know what, though? And, and, and Brandon's, as you know, Brandon's a, pretty, a very, very nice guy. Guy, um, uh, you know, for the most part, but <laughs> um, uh, but he's actually, um, I think the one story too, you know, you can just add a little bit of it is he actually held up a um, stopped an entire set because of some of the director's choices of not. Uh, oh yes, yeah, which um, is actually my favorite story, Brad. If yeah, if, if you ever have to know about Brandon's character, it's probably boiled down and in, 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 in definitely into this story right here. Yeah, this um, so story. this was actually the beginning of Brandon taking crew, fellow crew members, and that's well Brandon talking seriously. about himself in uh, in the yeah. third person, yeah. um, which he does. And I really have no rhyme or reason to when I do and do not talk no, about I myself know. in the third person. The, uh... um... <laughs> he just does it. I mean, I'm sure there is, but we're not going to delve um... into that psyche. Holy shit. Yeah, I, I, there's no known reason. I'm sure there is some oh, sort yeah. of psychological reason, but I don't know what it is. To quote a friend of mine, nope! <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Uh, where How do I want to begin on this one? So... This was shortly after I graduated. Um, I'm just trying to remember all of the little details here that make 
at least the important details of the story. Um, so shortly after I graduated, uh, there was somebody that I was working with at the time that I no longer work with for obvious reasons, as you all learn from this story. Um, there are more reasons than this story. I was going to say, among other reasons. Yeah. Um, it was, so he was going through what was called the acting and directing class, where the final of that class is you have to write and direct a two-page scene that only has two actors. Right. You can't have one actor, you can't have three actors, you can't have four actors, it has to be two actors interacting with each other. And... The only important thing about this script was there's a guy who is tied to a chair and he's unconscious and the other character wakes him up by throwing a bucket of water on him. Um, the rest of the script really doesn't matter for this story. Uh, we were filming out in the suburbs, so it's not like this was CTA train accessible yeah, right so we had so i was reliant on our friend freddie for a ride everybody else is basically dependent on rides so yeah. once you were there you were kind of stuck there unless you had a car but of course you're more than likely somebody else's ride so we were all stuck there uh it was a supposed to be a late afternoon shoot ending a little after midnight i think original wrap time was supposed to be like one o'clock uh in the morning um so we get there um and the way he directed was he didn't know how to schedule the shots okay so of course if you're just doing standard coverage you start with your wide, you mm -hmm. go into your mediums, you go into your close-ups. Right. You, know, you just start wide and work your way Start in. far away, work your way close to the subject. Yeah. Um, but, of course, you know, that would mean you need a wide encompassing the whole scene. Then, of course, eventually you'll need the close-ups of... So, like, if you... So, if Jeff, if you were talking to Zach... I would film your close-ups first, and then I would film Zach's close-ups first. I, I would, so it's like, I, basically, it doesn't matter which order I shoot your close-ups. Basically, I would shoot all of your dialogue in one close-up. And then and you shoot the reverse, yes. which is the other person. If it's three people in a conversation, you have to block that out accordingly, too. Yes. So if you're shooting this room, where there's four people around the microphone, you would shoot half the room and then the other half of the room, and you would do punches and cut-ins to break that up. Yes. But I would shoot all of yours and Mark's punches and their extreme close-ups and yes. whatever needs to happen and of there course you want to stay along, shoot this side of the room and of course you want to stay along the same axis as you right you don't want to jump you, the line yeah, yeah. before you move on to the next axis that you want to get he couldn't quite grasp the order and how to rearrange those shots he not have a first ad I don't remember if he did. I don't think he did. Uh, um, keep in mind, this was almost five years ago. Try not to skimp on your first AD, folks. The first and second AD saves your ass in these kind of situations, and they ask the questions you forget about. Yep. Um, <laughs> as Mark points to himself. The, the, um, um, so he wasn't sure in what order to shoot. And so I tell him, you know, the, the 
standard way to do this is to start wide and push in. And then I say sarcastically because, you know, I'm a humorous person. Or you could just literally shoot every moment in the order it is in the script. And the look on his face was just like, oh, we could do that? And I was like, no, I was saying a joke. That will waste a lot of time. I think we're going to do that. Um, <laughs> I was like, please no, but no. How about a nice Kermit the Frog? I want a skull. Yep, I'm going to go with a Kermit the Frog. Uh, oh my god. Uh, it's his show. It's like, I tried to tell him no, that's not how we should do it, but ultimately, uh, that's how we did it. Um, oh, that's just painful to think about. Oh, yeah. Um, and then he wouldn't talk to his actors. Like, he and so I was the DP for this, and what he would do... I can't, I, I can't even, like, okay, so I need to chime in here as the actor's yep. perspective. I've been directed by two, uh, uh, two of the three other people in this room and everything else. Both have talked to me when I'm fucking acting, and I've always appreciated it. And actually, in some cases, privately, when nobody else can hear so you have to being an actor and, and all those future directors have, you gotta talk to us man you gotta have dialogue with us especially you know if you wanna see something specific where I mean the joke is we're performing circus monkeys but you gotta direct the performing circus monkey the um uh, you know you have to talk you have you have to have a conversation cause otherwise how the hell can we trust you and trust that you have a vision towards what you wanna see there um yeah so what and so what what happened was well I'm trying to tell um, the people who are gripping and camopping for me and setting the lights so I'm trying to tell them what to do he would literally just hover right over my shoulder looking at the little monitor on the camera Brand, Brandon is standing up now and standing over Mark's shoulder yeah. for example just so you know Zach and Jeff can see what I mean it was like he's literally just like this, just inches away from me while I'm trying to think and I would tell him go work with your actors while I'm setting up the lights and he's like oh no I just like the like I, I like to let the actors um, do what they do uh, I can't remember his exact words but it was just something like <laughs> Mark's yeah. having an aneurysm um, Timothy Busfield who you look up who that is he uh, was Poindexter in Revenge of the Nerds and has directed and executive produced tons of shows uh, I got to work with him on Mind Games and he was very very kind to me and spent time you know I was a production assistant but he was talking to me he knew I wanted to create and, and I said I just want to take what's in my mind and make it a reality whatever that means writing, producing, directing at the time I didn't care and he said okay I'm going to teach you how to direct so he him and Miguel I'm going to sop a nook Sapotnik, I can't. I can never fucking get Miguel's name right. Miguel, you'll know on the he directed Battle of the Bastards for right. Game of Thrones, and both Miguel and Timothy Busfield worked on a show called Mind Games, which never it got canceled after the third episode. And I've heard it's on Hulu, but I don't have Hulu, so I haven't watched it. The show was incredible to work on, and we shot thirteen episodes. Um, I worked on the pilot, which was called Influence, which they should have left the name as Influence. The time slot in the marketing, I think, is what killed that show. Um, but Christian Slater's in it, Steve Zahn's in it, a bunch of really great actors and actresses. It's, it was a fun show. Uh, Jamie, oh, she's going to kill me. Her and her husband just won an Oscar for uh, the short film Skin. And um, Jamie was one of the actresses on that show. She was the primary love interest for Christian Slater. 
Anyways, Timothy Busfield pulled me aside in one of our times where we were talking, and he said, you know, one of the things I don't want you to do is over-direct your talent. A lot of young directors, when they first get in, they're giving way too many notes. If you've prepped and you've rehearsed correctly and the actor's a professional, they're going to be ready. Give them slight adjustments. Your job is to protect the actor and their performance, not act for them or overdo it because you're going to confuse them, you're going to do too much. Being heavy-handed is a big mistake. He said, that said, if you see something, you're nudging, you're gently guiding them, and you want to make it so you can trust them. And he taught me relational directing, which is you find something about, you get to know that actor, even if you don't, if it's a TV show, you don't often have a lot of time with them. So you have to come, you have to get to know them really quick or use generic or general things that make them think about something. I always try to find something specific. Like when I give Mark an adjustment, it's always something that I, I know from him personally. Um, in Pastor's Plight, I had to talk to the actress Stephanie Garvin, and I used a specific element from her past, a tragedy, to inspire a certain kind of pain in her final death scene. And I don't know if we got it, the shot, but she definitely gave the performance. Watching the perform, and I didn't have a monitor, so I just... All I, all I had to go off was what I was seeing, and I was hoping the camera was getting it because we didn't have a monitor, um, which is a huge rookie mistake and something I won't ever do again. But it's the kind of thing where her performance on the day was dead on, and I was able to get that out of her because I had a relational direction to give her. Had I not given her that performance, that note, she wouldn't have gone into a different frame of mind, and she probably would have given me an unpredictable performance every take. Mm-hmm. And we did that that whole sequence several times. And each take was a little bit different, but I got what I wanted. And and so it, both things are true. You need to give your actor or actress whatever term. Um, the talent has to have direction, and they also have room to breathe, and it's a balance between the two. If the director doesn't know how to do that and they're just swimming and they're just lost, yeah, like I, my feeling is, I often blame the producers for that because it's a producer's job to protect the show, mm-hmm. and it's a producer's job also to protect the the director. Yeah. If the director is having a hard time, the producer needs to be able to, and a lot of times the the DP and the produ- and the director will be a team, and you'll see teams these creative teams that protect each other. Right. And so they'll come, like when I shoot with Brandon, if Brandon sees something or thinks of something that's creative, we have a relationship where he can say that to me. Yeah. The same with and Zach and Mark. Same relationship with Zach. And that's what I like about yeah. working with the two of you as directors. And hopefully soon, Mark is a director pretty soon. Oh, that's cool. Stepping um, into for episode uh, three. Oh, nice. Yeah, Very potentially good. Hopefully episode three. Well, hopefully it's we... going to be one of the upcoming episodes. Yes. We don't know which number it's going to be. I'm just waiting for Mark um, to be like James Cameron where it's like, no, you can't do it like this! <laughs> <laughs> oh my. But more I, I, I've done narrative, and Jeff, you and I haven't really done narrative much together. Narr- yeah. We haven't done narrative together yet. Um, so this is going to more go towards Zach right now, but I imagine you're going to be a similar way when we do finally do narrative together. But Zach will adjust his actor. He will talk to his actors about performances. They will have a dialogue. He has dialogue with me. He hears their creative input and hears my creative input. And it's his, his directing isn't, it has to be done this way. It's like, let's figure out together what the best way 
to bring about this is. Um, Zach, does that sound about right? I would say for at least a living nightmares project, yes. If it was my own personal project, like when I finally start 777, I'm going to be less... I will be still... I will still take creative feedback and everything, but for the most part, I know what I want for that series, so... But it really just depends on the but project. But on the contrast of that, you will communicate yes, what you want. Yes, I will always communicate. I will always hear what, what I, you have to say, but it it really just depends on the project. But you will communicate what you want. What yes. I don't like is I have to say, I've acted for Zach as mm-hmm. a director acting for another act, director, and Zach has acted himself. There's an easy dialogue where I'm asking him, do you need this? Do you need that? And then he'll get, I help him give me the adjustment because right. I know where his... I've sat in his chair before... And he sat in my chair, so the but the conversation with Zach is easy. Right. It and, and you're exactly what, right. That's what, what I does. don't like though are directors who don't communicate. Their idea of directing is, oh, I'm the director. I'm gonna let the DP do whatever he wants. I'm gonna let the actors do whatever they want. I'm gonna let sound do whatever you're, they want. You're a negligent parent. Yeah, right. it's like yeah. you're not a director. You're somebody that, that just wants the credit. Okay. You're you not know. looking at that point. You're not looking for the crew that will give you the best it's i found that directors who do that it's crew to them aren't people that will excel their project to greatness it's crew to them are people that they can blame when they decide something isn't working that they did themselves and that's and that's and it's a fortune because because actually you know what jeff you said the best and actually i'm i'm really glad you said it because i i've thought this i've never actually said it out loud when I've served as as executive producer on this last one, and then the one before it, I was kind of a couple different things into this, but especially this last one, I really was um, almost solely the executive producer. All I did was protect them, and 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 protect both of them and what was going on, and handle logistics. And when it was time for me to step in as executive producer to make a you know a, a decision with them, who are also the executive producers, but they were filling in other roles we were able to easily make a decision as a team and then I was able to step away from it. And, you know, and I'll get into the story later about the other thing that I had to do as an executive producer. Um, uh, but, you know, but I made Zach feel comfortable with the logistics of the situation. You know, what happens if a neighbor comes out and comes to talk to us? Well, I'll go and take care of that. What happens if the cops come? What happens if the, I was like, Zach, I got that. I got all that. You know, that's that's my... I my, had my own thing I added whenever somebody <laughs> walked on to Yeah, yeah, side. well, yeah, and then our marketing guy came into, into effect, <laughs> but he, he marketed the shit out of it and he yelled at us for not doing it, but I, which I understood. <laughs> but, um, I, but I never actually heard anybody say that out loud, and I'm glad that you did, because that's how I felt. I, I, I protected them, I added in creative when, when it needed to be. I even directed second unit at, at, at one point. Um, I'm hoping I get the credit for it. Um, uh, and no, I'm gonna give it to Brandon. Yeah, it's okay. I, I have no ego towards it, but it, it, you know, and it just felt natural to do that. Right. I didn't. Nobody told me to do that. I just did it. The um, it was nice to be told. But yeah. So anyway, uh, he would always just be over my shoulder for these shots, and he wouldn't work with his actors. But what he would also do is have lights rearranged without telling me. Yeah. Um, and this was before I was even said I was done lighting. 
And then there was a light that was moved between shots Ugh. that I wasn't aware of either. Play the clip from uh, Christian Bale, please. <laughs> Are you a professional? Oh, no. No, Are you no, a professional? No, that should be a sound bite for the show. Like you can just Zach, you should have a queued up thing of sound bites that you can play oh my God. when the show's oh. going. So you can just click those. That's got to be one of them. Oh yeah, that has to. Be so one anyway, of them. Oh, you the last two points. You can have a bunch of sound effects. I think that would the be last great. two major points on this, and I can't remember in what order this happened. Uh, what I think it was was we were about so we were about to approach mealtime but we were still on a setup and we decided as a crew that okay we'd rather finish this shot first before we eat so yeah. you know it's like we finished let's finish this shot first eat and then we'll come back and then we start the next shot so that we're not like okay we're gonna just kind of kind of get a few takes of this shot or get one take of the shot, eat, and then do the last two takes. It was like, you know, let's just finish the thing we started. And I can't remember how it devolved into this, but essentially, somehow, it became an hour after scheduled mealtime. And I can't... And I, I think the next point that I'm going to be talking about was probably happening at the same time as this. I don't quite remember that but essentially it got to the point where i had to say i am not pressing record for you again until you get these people some food yeah yes yeah, yeah. and he did eventually order he did have to order the pizzas at that point so it's not like we had pizzas coming at that point it was i'm not recording for you until you get these people f- some food then he orders and then, of course, it's like, okay, what do we do while we wait for the pizzas? Well, we're going to keep working. because Where, where was his producer? This is a student project. He doesn't have one. So, so here's one of the things. So I don't know how many times I've run into this. Like, I don't have a number in my head, but it happens a lot. So when you're starting out, um, you know, almost everybody wants to direct. And if you're taking on the role of director and you don't have a producer put effort into doing things like getting a producer which means you go and grab one of your friends and you explain to them how to do the job uh joshua kulik the person that got me into film had myself and a kid named roy garcia produce for him um on different shows uh the, the probably the first 10 short film things i did i acted in most of them or i helped josh write them i came in as a writer originally and then he said hey go stand in front of the camera because you're interesting. And I was like, okay. And we did it. And it's the kind of thing where everything was raw and we were learning as we went. And Josh did a lot of the heavy parts of producing or a lot of the pre-production stuff. And he would bring in different guys from our little group. Uh, Every once in a while, you'll see me wear a shirt that says 5.0 Entertainment, and that was the company. So it's just a cluster of friends that got together, kind of like what you guys are doing. But you had somebody in that universe who kind of, it was their job to watch everything else while Josh was directing. It wasn't up to him to handle that. So he's not getting 500 questions at once on set. So then he forgets things like time. Yeah. The producer and the first AD handle that around the director and the cinematographer. The director and the DP, along with the script supervisor or the writer, they are worried about creative. 
the production. Production is a loose term that means business side or nuts and bolts of getting the job done side of a film set is something that gets neglected on indies all the time because, oh, everyone has to wear multiple hats. Robert Rodriguez is famous for doing this and doing it well, but he also has a, a good producer's IQ, and he has people around him that are very good at what they do. Uh, the Williams brothers are famous for doing the same kind of things. They, they wrote a book about film finance and, and making features and stuff. That's one of the things that if there's young starting producers, uh, Filmmakers on this go to a friend that wants to get into film and have them produce your short with you so that you're not alone I happen to have my spouse that does that You know, it's something that's huge to have that extra help um, And does it well Yeah, well and and the person whoever you pick is gonna get better with time Just like you're gonna get better at directing or, or whatever wherever it is you want to do as you're creating something and if you want to produce Go offer your services to somebody you know that's directing, uh, somebody that's just doing stuff or trying to do stuff where they're stuck. Go help them. If it's no pay, so what? Get your feet wet. And it's the kind of thing that this guy, what this guy really needed was uh, a strong AD and a strong producer, and none of that would have happened. Mm -hmm. That's all avoidable. And it's on his shoulders because he's the director, and it's definitely his fault. But if he would have had better support, that never would have happened. Because they wouldn't have let it happen. They would have said, wait a minute, you can't do that because of this, this, and this. And he would have gone, oh. Instead of having these, oh, shit, aha moments on set where he's completely neurotic and panicked and in 50 different directions emotionally at once and making serious errors in judgment, he's going to have a support team that's going to help him not be stupid. Mm -hmm. uh, directing myself, I, I've done stupid shit, not because I'm trying to be stupid, but because my brain is in other places other than, right, yeah, Zach's making a motion of taking his brain right, in chunks and putting out of in a, in a jar. You know, putting in a different jars all around him, and, and that's I think that's really accurate. Uh, who's we have we set stories from the set. We have Brandon's. Yeah, yeah. The um, um, and I do have one last point on this story. So as I mentioned, it is a script where somebody's unconscious in a chair and a bucket of water is thrown on him. He could not decide what angle he wanted that to be shown. So he literally had me and the camera go around the garage, all four walls, all four corners, shoot by two or three takes from each angle. And this is in like October, November yeah. in a garage. And that's, and I go back to the AD producer team. The, the ADs have to have a shot list to build the schedule from. So he would have been saved by his first and second AD. They would have saved him from that, and the producer would have demanded those things from the first and second AD. That little team right there saves the director from that indecision because now he has to make a decision because they're saying, well, we need this paperwork ahead of time. Yeah. And it, it, it really helps the director get solidified because you have infinite number of options. And until you're forced to make a choice, this is the thing about creative producing that I, I love, actually, is that you get to help somebody like that and if you understand the creative side of film, even though you're on the business side, you're kind of doing that process with them. You're helping them and supporting them and like, hey, buddy, what what is it that you're trying to do here? I'm trying to go from this, this, and this. Okay, we're sitting next to the DP. Where's the line at, DP, if we shoot from here? Oh, it's here. Okay, so this is the field you have to play in. You're helping this person make choices 
by just kind of setting up the stage. And you're suggesting, let's just say, let's just take this half of the room just for the sake of argument. Follow me here, buddy. And so you're directing the director by managing his expectations and going on this journey with that person. Then they start to build a framework more, especially if they're nervous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that whole thing happens. And I've seen that happen where a first AD will pull that performance out of a director with the producer. And I've watched, and that, this happens on big professional levels this happens sometimes uh you know Zack snyder's wife is his producer ian bryce is michael bay's producer and ian bryce let's take this example because they're not married but ian bryce and michael bay get in the same car at the end of every day for set at the beginning of every day they get out of the same vehicle and they're together ian bryce is the kind of producer that shows up to fold boxes what I mean is that during the Transformers 3 show, uh, there was a bunch of production assistants, myself included, that were way out in the sticks somewhere in Indiana. So it's some, some place that's just an oil field and some abandoned freeway where we're shooting this scene. And during the scene, we had to fold like 10,000 of these boxes to make what's called a box catch. They took a SUV, flipped it, and it landed in the box. They took two of them, flipped them, and they landed in the boxes. What was happening is these two Decepticons were flying up in the air and then transforming but you know they used real suvs and they didn't want to damage them the box catchers worked so well the only thing that got damaged was a uh one light on the car Mm -hmm. and one of the mirrors got bent in and as soon as they righted it the guy flipped open the mirror and they drove both of the cars away Hmm. i mean so you know cardboard works because it caught two flying suvs the point is is at the end of the night a bunch of the production assistants are going into double and triple overtime kind of thing. And we're out there crushing the boxes and loading them on pallets and trying to get them in the back of this truck. Ian Bryce shows up and helps us fold boxes and helps motivate us to go fast. It was one of those things where he has to shoot the next day and he has to deal with Michael Bay, but he's still covering Michael's edges because they went over budget. And so he's trying to get this thing to stop bleeding money at the same time there with the director. And it's, it's, that whole kind of responsibility like what you're really talking about is support for creative yeah the support for creative is is huge and when that doesn't happen you know a dp should never be in that position but it's yeah. cool to know that Which brandon rakowski kind of the buck stops here it's kind of funny too because that was that whole story takes place before i even wanted to be a dp Oof. at that at that point like this was within the first two or three months of me having graduated at that point i was trying to get into post-production yeah um the only reason i ever dp'd projects at that time was because the original dp would back out and i'm the only person on that crew list that would at least have the confidence to touch a camera or and at least try to arrange lights into something that's coherent in reality back then i had no idea what i what to do like i i was not a dp i was just somebody that was filling the role of dp at that time yeah um, you know, yeah chris chris walken had a great a great story about or a great quote about acting and everything else you just you know it's like building a house just go build a fucking house like you'll figure it out eventually yeah. <laughs> like you know like you'll you'll make enough mistakes and you'll you'll figure out how to do it and as mark wires the plumbing to explode i mean, I, mean <laughs> you know, I wouldn't do the plumbing or the electric i sure um but yeah no i mean trial and error keep doing it 
keep doing and doing it and yep. doing and doing it and do it over again, and then you eventually you'll get it right. If you love it enough, you know you'll figure it out. Zach, Zach, miss. I want to hear. I want to hear your story. We're gonna go around this way. It can only be one of two possible stories. Yeah, and I'm trying to figure out which one I want to talk about. Well, you know, they don't have to be bad either. They can be funny. They can be enjoyable. They can be enjoyable too. They don't have to be awful. The um, uh, you know, we don't have to talk about horror stories. You know, we you know. <laughs> this is a horror podcast. I get that. Yeah. But I know that's kind of ironic, but it's also so you know production advice. I'm trying to figure it, out what fucking story I wanted to talk. Well, about. I mean, the simple one though is the first time I ever I ever met him was when he. Covered that what's her face in blood. Oh, all right. I guess. And I, I guess we actually had a happy moment. That actually was the first time I was ever an executive producer, because it was my fa- it was my father's basement. The and mm-hmm. I actually had to, I, had you know he had to come and talk to me and it, it, like I was production manager slash um, uh, um, executive producer and he's like he's like hey Mark you know what can we do you know to make sure that we don't get a lot of blood on the sidewalk. I actually went and I think I bought a tarp and put the no, tarp. We, but, what we did is we went out and we got a whole bunch of just garbage bags, just well, yeah, the light ones, too. and we just laid a fucking trail of them to the uh, shooting location in the basement because he didn't want to get fake blood on the concrete, dirt, dusty that floor sense. that was yeah. already dirty. Yeah, the, I mean, but hey, we made it work. We made it happen. And we yeah. also got cancer. The, oh, actually, the <laughs> dust we all breathed in. So, oh, you know no, what? Right, right. Right. Don't really ride, dude. We probably talk. will die younger than all, all of us will probably die younger. I guess I'll talk about that because... Like, I talk about the other two fucking horror sets a lot, but... That had its problems, too. Yeah. That, no, that this have... one this one is probably the most horrifying to me because literally everything that could have gone wrong went wrong, so... Michigan? No, my senior. Oh, okay, your senior. So, for my senior project, um, it wasn't the project I actually wanted to shoot originally because my teacher wouldn't let me, well, act in it because you can't do that! Fucking dumbass rules. Anyways, so... How do you really feel? <laughs> about that? Yeah. Um, anyway, so after I shot that, um, about close to a year later, I planned on shooting the script I wanted to, which was the sequel to my senior script. And I was getting close to graduation. I was getting very nervous that I wouldn't get an opportunity to really shoot this piece. Uh, so I wanted to still use the school's equipment. So I kind of threw everything together last minute. And I started shooting it. So day one, we're shooting in the basement of my buddy's apartment building. Everything is going semi-well. We finish the shoot day, and then we figure out, oh, good, we can't shoot at that location anymore. So this is a four-day shoot, mind you. So I'm over here freaking the hell out. Thankfully, Mark comes in and uh, calls his dad. And once again, his dad gives us a location and saves my ass. Second time. (laughs) Yep. So that was just the start of the problem. So, um... We get to the shooting location day two. We try to save as much as we can. We reshoot some of the stuff from day one, but thankfully a good portion of the stuff we shot from the original location is easily used for the second location because we made them look similar. So it's like, okay, cool. Um, I was not the smartest person when writing the shot list. So the way I sh- uh, set it up, so pretty much it's all one scene. It's all in one location. Uh, our little boy Mark here, uh, is tied to a chair, and uh, the great actress Kalika is tied to a chair right across from him. 
I set it up to where I would constantly have to switch the lighting setups, move camera and everything. It's just like, okay, we're going to shoot Kalika stuff, then we're going to shoot Mark. I, I essentially shot it in order, is what I did. And I, I did swear that for... Zach was not the director that I said. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he was not. No, no. Like, that was just complete and utter incompetence on a set in general. Me, at least, you know, I make sure my actors are, you know, semi-comfortable. As yeah. To the best of their ability, well, at least. According to, the, according to everybody else, I don't quite remember this. Apparently, I was very comfortable. Oh, yeah. No, Mark was very eager to remove his pants the entire yeah. set. Dude, I had just watched... <laughs> I had just watched Crusades. I had just watched it, and I and I knew about that whole thing with Harrison Ford and um, uh, and Sean Connery, and how they both did that whole thing where they're tied back-to-back, pantsless, and I thought... Wow, that'd be a cool experience to try. Sure. Sue me. I wish you could see the look on Jeff's face. Yeah, no, this was my second time working with Mark. Me and him had like talked and hung out. To it. My first set ever working with Mark was my senior. Yeah. And he he blew the fucking, you know, audition out of the role. Like the two greatest actors I've ever worked with, Mark Conway and Kalika Reedman. Phenomenal fucking actor and actress. Thank, thank, thank you. Yes. But um continuing on. So, okay, day two, it's kind of picking up all the scraps from the first day and everything, and it's just like, alright, shit's a little rough, but we're gonna get through it. Day three comes, so it starts off, um, I'm trying to order food, and my credit card gets declined. Yeah, buddy. (laughs) Because apparently... Uh, a purchase was made in New York, which made no goddamn sense. I don't know, I guess Grubhub was acting weird that day. Uh, I got a funny text from my buddy saying he bought a game and he lives in New York and I'm just like connecting the dots and I'm just like, I know it wasn't you, but you really should have sent that text at this time, you son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And then later on, you know, just things are just kind of going out of control and all that just pretty much, um, you know, things just aren't slightly working. I'm having trouble trying to figure out how I'm going to do some of the special effects and makeup things because I didn't properly prepare for them. Uh, the final day comes around, and for some reason, uh, you know, the power just decided, hey, we're gonna, Comet just decided to cut off all power to the building. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Yeah, so we're in the middle of shooting, we're about halfway through the day, then all of a sudden, I look at David, (laughs) he's like, I don't fucking know! I look at Mark, what the fuck's happening? I swear to god, it was like, this is the XFL. Like they like, <laughs> like 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 the fucking power just and and no we did not forget to put gas in the generator like it was Comet's fault. I'm over here just like, are you fucking kidding me? The uh, uh um you, you know and also it didn't help that we were on a very tight schedule because the, I had to have one actress come in and just she had to be in and out for that time. I like think we had a total of an hour just to shoot her stuff beautiful part about that was i got to cover her in head to toe in blood and it was one of the most beautiful things in the world <laughs> mark keeps saying he's never seen me smile like that before ever since and since so I that just, was three years ago yeah the, I, I don't know apparently i had the biggest fucking glow on my face when i finally got to do that so yeah he's uh zach's one of the reasons why i, I um uh, you know i have a larger appreciation of horror because you'll never meet a, a nicer more energetic and more enthusiastic group of people. They just love what they do. And Zach's a, a very, very clear example of that. 
you're aware that this man stabs me on a regular basis, right? Yeah, you know. Yeah. You know penet- no, one's, no one's perfect. Look, I don't no one's penetrate perfect. the skin, you don't bleed, and you're still alive, okay? I think you should be The happy. phrase penetrate the skin should tell everyone a lot. <laughs> you know, it really should. Not to mention all the other crazy shit that we talked about in the last you know, two hours. The um, It was... Yeah, it had its problems, man, but, you know, you get through it. Yeah, like, my cinematography teacher, one of the first things he taught us in class, God hates filmmakers. You are creating worlds. You're that creating... is a fact. Yeah. That you is know, an it's, absolute it's, fact. It's like you are doing pretty much what he does, just in some cases, better. So he's oh. going to do everything in his power to fuck you over. And that statement was never more true that day. More should happen, but I can't really talk about that. And it's just like the, you, you, even the shit show sets that I was on, I wasn't nearly as stressed out as I was because here's the thing: that was my set. I was a director. Oh. You're always the most stressed out. Always, you, you know. know I, I've done shitty jobs where I was a grip, uh, visual effects supervisor, and stuff. It, even a weird, fucked up audio story once where I was an audio guy, which made no goddamn sense. Which one was that? Uh, side story. Um, I'll go into that one later. You know, pretty much most stressful thing I've ever been on. The side audio story, this was kind of funny. So I was helping, I was looking for random jobs on Craigslist. This one paid 50 bucks for the day, and I'm just like, alright, fuck it. So I was pretty much the boom operator assistant for a guy, conveniently named Mark. Okay. And, um, you know, we're getting everything set up, and I don't know who the fuck this person was... I'm sorry, a spider just landed on my arm. So, oh, oh, that's. Uh, fine. But yeah, I don't know. This is Doug. Huh? I don't know if that's just Doug. <laughs> Did you kill Doug? He's right here, so I hope you didn't squash him. No, <laughs> Shut up. Anyway, so me and the Doug audio is. guy are setting up, and all of a sudden, I think this was the AD who came in, and I guess he was getting everything situated. He's like, "All right, what frame rate are you guys recording at?" What? What, what frame rate are you guys recording at? I'm like, we're the sound guy. I know. What frame What frame rate are you guys going to be recording at? What resolution? I'm just like... Oh. I stepped away for... <laughs> Brendan's out. <laughs> Brendan's out. <laughs> Brendan's walking away. So Brandon just did what I did. I stepped away for five seconds because I look at the guy. I'm like, I'm going to leave. And I just hear screaming, Are you fucking serious? What the... How are you... Oh. I was like, oh my god. What? I, I'm scared. Oh, you, I'm scared. It, 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 Wait a minute. Who was screaming? The audio guy. At the, I think this was the AD asking these questions. Like, I don't know. I had a pen and paper oh, and all wow. that shit. And it's just like, because he was making sure he got all the data and stuff. And he was asking us, frame rate, resolution, we're the fucking audio guys! <laughs> I don't... I don't I, I, I'm confused. Like, I... <laughs> Like, uh, I can't even... Pro- I don't even know what box to put that in. I mean, he could ask I about... was being paid to just hold a boom mic. I don't have time for this shit. The, um, uh... You know what the... <laughs> Brandon's in the- Brandon, are you getting whiskey? Uh, I, Brandon literally walked to the other... Is that an option? Is there whiskey? Yeah, oh, where's no, the whiskey? There's, there's not whiskey in, in here. But it's like... That was one of the most mind-blowing... That was probably the dumbest thing I've ever seen on set before. I've seen some dumb shit, but that was by far Dumb-, not, dumbest not, 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 not dumber than Michigan? There's a lot of dumb shit on Michigan, but this was just mind-blowingly stupid. I've never had somebody ever since come up to me and ask, what frame rate are you recording at when it comes to sound? Just, 
Oh, the, uh, you know, and, 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 and good God, Jeff, I can't even think about how many stories that you might have. Hell, I, I've I'm, been... I'm try- I don't even know where to start. I, like, I've been... Be- like, not only have you been on... You've been on every type of set. You've been on uh, film Thir- sets, television years. sets, independent sets with people in this room. I mean, I can think of 20 stories from sets I've been on with you. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't know... Um, I mean... You know, oh, this, this is the one I was thinking of. Okay, so... I I got two stories I'll tell. Um, the first one is when I was a production assistant on Man of Steel. There were two two lives I kind of had on that show. Um, we were in Plano, Illinois. I was part of AD staff and running around. I would sprint from one end of the set to the other end of the set. Other PAs were calling me to help resolve problems, and I was doing it. And I was doing as much as I knew to do and I was told at one point I was a little bit too much drill instructor um, a little you know not everybody's friend but at one point I was handed the set by my boss he said I'm going to step away I have the set the first AD had had was still there but the second second stepped away and I basically took the second second spot and stood next to what I call ground zero, which is where the first team actors are. So the main actors on the call sheet and the um, producers, cinematographer, or video villages. And so I'm standing at ground zero, which is wherever the cameras are and it's action. Um, And I'm calling cadence for the, you know, 50 PAs that are all over downtown Plano, Illinois. And I get a lot of people were talking shit about that or, were upset about it, whatever. Um, but I got to do it. And I had a conversation with Henry Cavill in that moment. And I was talking to Zack Snyder and the DP from that show. And we were all having a conversation there. And so even though people were mad at me and didn't like me on the, you know, other PAs didn't like me. Um, I have that moment, you know, and I remember learning from that interaction and, and, my boss uh, at the time, Andy Spellman, walked up to me and said, listen, bro, you did great today. I know you're stressed out, but there's something you got to learn. Tact. There's a way to do what you're doing without being as hard. And so, and he wanted to bring me up and make me an AD and, and everything and had made the offer, but um, I declined because it, it didn't include uh, my best friend which was a guy named Rob Rhodes, who's now a VFX supervisor, and you can look him up. He does Black Lightning. He did the Teen Titans live-action film. He's all over the industry killing it. Um, And we were both on that show. The second part of this first story is I got pulled into locations uh, and was in way over my head in terms of what I was ready for. And the locations part was I actually got fired from this job uh, and I screwed up. I, I mean, the, the bottom line is, is, is I didn't, when you deliver a locations agreement for someone to sign at a location, especially when it's a big location, you also want to deliver the check. The checks and the contracts came in two separate parts. One, they, they were coming from the production office by two different people because a bunch of communication had gotten screwed up. So our boss told me to do told everybody to do a certain way and I didn't do it that way. And I'm not really sure to this day what exactly happened, but I delivered the contract, told her I delivered it. And then the lady called her, said I opened the envelope and there was no check in there. 
and my boss was furious. And so that was happening at this time, and I didn't know that I was going to be fired, and I was fired the next day. Um, but I was, I knew I'd screwed up, and I just was so depressed by it. Um, and what my boss didn't know is that I was actually living off of my paychecks because I lived, uh, I lived in a town called Westmont and had to take the metro train into town to work on the Man of Steel stuff that was shooting downtown in the Loop in Chicago. The metro trains run at really specific times and they don't run early enough in the morning that I can get to set by a six o'clock call time. So I was sleeping downtown. Uh, I slept one night in a hotel, slept another night, uh, you know, outside. Essentially, I stayed up all night and slept on the street. And my boss had no idea. Um, I don't know that she actually cared, but it's the kind of thing that it's... I told her this years later, and she said, I really had no idea. And I was like, well, you also had a million things that you were doing. Um, the thing that I got out of it is later that day, I'm in the elevator in the Sears Tower, and I'm taking this guy up to the elevator. I was told to go downstairs, catch this person. They're going to show up, escort them. Going through the Sears Tower is very difficult. It's a maze because the floors are divided up on, into certain elevators, and you... You have to go through certain certain parts. Security is insane there, and it's just it's a convoluted process. And we're way up on these two empty floors near the top of the building. And uh, I'm taking this guy up in the elevator, and we're, we start talking. And it turns out that he's the creative director for the Justice League uh, animated show. Hmm. He's also the person that did the storyboards for all of the Man of Steel shows because Zack Snyder is actually a fan of comics he's a comic book fan uh he reads them in his spare time it's like something that is part of his life um and so this guy and i start talking and there's a uh there's a scene where wonder woman goes to apocalypse and she's fighting barta and the furies and she's incorporating like five or six different martial arts styles that are very obvious to somebody that studied martial arts and she does this rope technique that's something very specific where she wraps the rope around her foot and then steps on it, and it's something out of Wing Chun. Um, and I commented something about that, and he was like, wow, dude, that's really great that you caught that. You put these little details into your work, and you hope somebody notices, and then he just start opened up to me and started talking. And like we wanted to exchange numbers and, and get to know each other, and I had this crazy opportunity. When I got him to set, I walked him into Zack Snyder, dumped him off personally to Zack Snyder, then walked over to Crafty, and Amy Adams was waiting at Crafty, and we, I chatted with Amy Adams for a few minutes, and I literally ran into the UPM, the director, everybody, I talked to everybody that was a big deal on the set in five minutes, and realized where I was. And it hit me that it didn't matter what happened the next day, and of course the next day I was like, oh, or I think that afternoon, or so, you know, they told me later, we don't need your help anymore. Basically, the very nice, polite film version of fuck you. Um, but I went away knowing that I did the best I could. You know, I didn't understand what I did wrong, and completely I know that I was too nervous. I mean, I was just, like, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating right, and I was nervous, so overwhelmed. Um, two years before that, probably 2007, was the lowest point of my life. And to come out of that really, really low point 
to this, it, it was impossible. What was happening was impossible. So that that's one story. And I think that, that the point of that story is, is that no matter what happens on set, uh, you, you live again to fight another day and you're going to learn. There's going to be stuff that happens and it's not always going to go be good. It's not always going to be the way it is. And people are going to have a perception of you. Years later, I production coordinated an independent film uh, and I was also kind of training the UPM um, at the same time who had been hired above me but but hadn't ever done it before and we were learn we were doing the jobs together and it was a team effort and so I was able to help the UPM do her job and support her and this woman that was my boss on Man of Steel was the producer on the show and she didn't know that I had been hired and she's never hired me for anything uh, since and I, I don't know that she ever will but she said after that she said wow you've really redeemed yourself you did a really great job being a production coordinator which is you know steps above a, a PA a lot more responsibility and stuff so there is there is a second life in film um if you learn if you're willing to make yourself learn the other story but, um, you know, Jeff, yeah, yeah do me a huge favor man what? before you move on and everything else and i'm actually going to record and put it on instagram there's one story that you told me a while back that i really want you to, to tell on, what, on man one? of steel sunlight oh the sunlight story the um uh yeah if you can um tell that the sunlight story on man of steel that'd be awesome okay so there's this this story on man of steel uh is ironic because one of the people that's in this story was um has passed away um i'm trying to think of how to structure this story because because now i'm in the same union as that guy and, he, and he's no longer with us, but it was my, um, so I'm a, a lockup additional PA. I'm, 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 there's extras, there's background extras, and then there's production assistants, additional production assistants, not the core group of set PAs, but the additional PAs are almost, um, uh, background. They're almost extras in terms of their value on set. I mean, they're valuable, but they're not like, you're not talking to the talent. You're not talking to stand-ins. You're not talking to camera operators. You're kind of doing what your little universe is and hoping you don't get fired every single day is kind of what's the feeling of that. Um, so they're setting a bunch of what they were calling roaches. Special effects is basically setting explosives all in the middle of the street. And my job is to ask crew members to not walk through essentially a landmine field. Um, you know, they've got uh, debt cord, I guess, running through this field, which is an explosive uh, detonator cord that's running to these roach pockets, I think. I did, that's probably not right because debt cord is explosive. Um, but anyways, there's explosives lined in the street because there's an A-10 warthog that comes in and, and shoots at the bad guys. And so they need to make the street look like it blows up. Um, and crew keeps walking by it. I keep saying, hey, don't walk through the minefield. Hey, don't walk through the minefield. And one of the crew goes, I don't have to listen to a PA. Walks right through the middle of the minefield right in front of me, kind of like taunting me. And he doesn't see the special effects supervisor, the producer, Zack Snyder, the director of photography, all standing outside the minefield looking at the setup. And they see him walking through. And the director, Zack Snyder, gets on the bullhorn and says... And they all yell at the same time, get the out of the minefield, yada, yada. And one of the special effects technicians comes up right behind me and says, hey, listen to this guy. He's trying to, you know, and, and choose the crew member out 
and it and it was like oh okay so i'm not the i'm not the bad guy but the story that mark is talking about happened right after that there's a scene where henry cavill is standing in the middle of the street and he's he's waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting and he's the suit the super suit by the way costs about four hundred thousand dollars and takes about 45 minutes for an hour to for them to get him into it it's internally water cooled so that he doesn't sweat uh, because he's in this big suit so the risk is is he's standing out in the sun he'll he'll get heat stroke you know it'll it's dangerous for the actor so they had to build this special suit to keep Henry cool the side effect is that he doesn't sweat a bunch so his makeup's not running so he looks perfect when he's in the suit and he stands out in the middle and, th and this is the first version of that suit and he's standing there and the clouds break in Plano it's like a hundred and fucking five degrees at the time it's the middle of the summer and he stands there there happens to be clouds this day and the cloud moves out of the way and they call action and he stands here like this the wind hits his cape the cape billows perfectly the sun hits the sun literally goes like across his body and then as it hits the s on his chest the s catches on fire and i mean we're talking in real life it looks like it's it's the s is it, it, i've never seen anything like this it's just the reflective material and how it hit the sunlight and then he goes boom like he's going to take off and i just about it stole my breath it's one of the most amazing moments in a it's what you want a superhero movie experience to be like it's literally the thing that makes you say that's why i'm doing this job that's why i'm here that's why i'm getting yelled at that's why i'm not getting paid right that's why i'm sleeping outside that i'm going to remember the rest of my life the crazy thing is is when you watch the movie you don't see it the way it looked to me on set that day so that whole thing, that was for me. That's it. I'm the only person that saw that uh, besides Zack Snyder, who was standing right next to me. Zack Snyder standing to my left with the DP and the camera, but the camera, when this happened, mm -hmm. I, I mean, they went and did that take a million times. But that moment where he did that, and there was a pause. You know, he went, the, it, the fire thing happened with his chest, and then I think they called action, and he went like this. So it was just before they called action. So Zach saw it, called the roll, and then they got what was ever, you know, as the S was on fire. But I mean, it was it was like golden light was pouring out of the S. And it's it's one of those things that's never. I mean, I'll never forget that. But I have a, a ton of memories like that, which is why, you know, uh, shameless. I'm I'm a dolly grip sitting on a porch with Emmy Rossum, talking. Uh, during a rainstorm talking about peppermint patty jokes <laughs> you know it's it's like it's just these memories i can't ever it's a miracle i get to do what i get to do and i'm grateful for it every day um i guess that's two stories i mean it, it's it's i was going to tell an indie story but i guess i kind of did that i mean there's there's one there's one thing i wanted to say from uh from the directing perspective, you know, there's, um, on the show Pastor's Plight, I watched people, you know, people in this room, uh, Brandon wasn't with us yet, but it's the kind of thing where I watched something that was a conversation that had started 
really with Mark a couple years before and then evolved into something that Zach and I had written and then ended up in this short film and I walked on to set after not, I didn't sleep the whole night before <laughs> and there's 30 people standing here ready to go and there's not a there's not a director's chair there's not crafty it's an indie set but everybody is working everybody's doing something everybody's in it and I don't know how many hours we shot that day. It wasn't that. Let's see. We started at roughly around, I would say, 8.30, 9 o'clock. It went till about 4.30, maybe 5 at the latest, because it was still pretty high sun at that Yeah, the light, it was still it light go, when we called around. Well, how, how would you know? <laughs> we blacked out all the windows. Yeah, we, we ended up having to shoot uh, day for night. And I was going to say that was fun, climbing up there. I had P.A. I, I tried doing it by something like, no, fuck this. P.A.'s! <laughs> well, and, and, and then P.J. showed up, and thankfully he's tall as a goddamn skyscraper. So I'm like, hey, buddy, come here. Yeah, it was, it, it, was a, it was a really... It was kind of the culmination of that year, at least for me personally. And it's the kind of thing that whatever the, the results, whatever the end story, because the end story for Pastor's Blight still isn't written yet. Um, that is, that was a beautiful thing. And that was something that like, I, it's part, it's one of those memories that makes film worth it all the time. You know, I tell the Michael Bay story about how I got into film in this city. You guys have all heard this story a thousand times. Um, basically Rob Rhodes and myself made a cardboard sign that said film students will PA for credit. Uh, Michael Bay comes out on the set. Um, from Transformers 3 sees the sign him and Ian Bryce gave us jobs on the spot we worked 11 days on that show and Rob went on to fortune and glory and uh, now you're here uh, I'm here with you guys <laughs> <laughs> I'm still alive you know hey, we're, we're very happy that you're here yeah we well, yeah we're still we're making films and plot twist we're really dead this is coming from the afterlife yes uh, it's wiggly wiggly yeah I'm, I'm really happy what do we say? Um, Squirrels. Hungry, happy, something, and blessed. We're just we're just happy to be able to do what we do, and, and I'm glad that I finally found film. You know, uh, after doing a thousand different jobs and saying, "Oh, people get paid to do this." Thank God. You yeah. know, Who knew? I, I I said when I first got into film in 2005 that if everybody knew what I had just discovered about filmmaking, they'd all be doing it. It's, it's too bad that not everybody knows what it's like to step on the other side of the camera. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just, it's like, there's nothing like that rush. I mean, you guys know when the first shot's up and you're doing something that's a narrative that you've all worked together to do. When you're sitting on Nightmare, it's one of those pure moments. It's like, this is, this is the whole point. This is why we're here. And then it just is exacerbated when you get on a, as your shows get bigger and bigger and bigger and the budgets get bigger, you start to see the dream taking shape and it's like this is this is where I want to be and it's just one of those perfect moments in life it's like swimming with a shark that's a whole other great experience right there fully recommend it you know as long as you're not a fucking moron and know what the hell you're doing but or listen to the people that, that go, you go out there with just make sure that open water doesn't happen yeah, yeah don't oh, Ma no, do a head count <laughs> well, yeah you know keep a list take a picture of everybody don't don't be those guys. Mostly pay the fuck attention to where the boat is. That too. Yeah, yeah that too. The uh, or just don't go too far out to the point where you can't see where the hell you. I don't know. The just, um, a, a, 
make sure you can always see land. I'm having a real hard time following that shit. Um, uh, oh, <laughs> the, 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 have yeah. you seen Have you seen open water? No, no, no. He's talking about all your, all your shit. No, um, uh, I probably shouldn't have picked. I shouldn't have picked. I shouldn't have picked. Oh yeah, you should have put yourself last. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did ask the question, so you know. So this is it's, it's your fault, Mark. Mark you did Mark, it. Mark, we already know your story. Tell us about the elevator. And I was well. That's one of them. Uh, <laughs> I was already told the elevator story on this podcast. Um, have I told the elevator story? Yeah, that was I think first our first episode. episode. Oh, anyway, then you know about that. Um, uh, the um, you know what's some funny is I've actually had the distinction of being on a set where a lot of things went wrong, but but your uh, but half the cast or pretty much the entire cast and most of the crew had no fucking idea that things were going wrong it's a pilot that I shot with you um, uh, there was a lot of what uh, pilot uh, um, oh you won't say what pilot I yeah, won't say yeah, what pilot yeah, it okay, is don't, don't say um, that um, yeah. I won't say what pilot it is but um, uh, I've I know what you're talking about I, ne- I didn't know any I, I, I never had I, 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 I never had I never had you know what's some funny it's the toughest it's it, one of the toughest shows I've ever had it it, 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 um, uh, it actually you know what it, 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 so many things went right just as much as they went wrong so it kind of balanced the whole damn thing out um, you know, yeah. and also because the executive producing staff and the directing staff um, uh, it, um, uh, had had a really good way of shielding the rest of the cast from what the hell was going on in the turmoil that was going on. The only the only thing that was interesting about that is, and I had no problem doing it. In hindsight, I realized how probably inappropriate it was. Um, uh, you know, but um, a lead actor shouldn't call his own cadence on a set. Um, even though it's fun, and I love fucking calling Cadence. Mark just keeps giving me it's, goals. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, the, I, I it's love, an excuse for Mark to be loud and not get in trouble. The for um, it. yeah, yeah. The um, uh, he's I, always loud. He nope, just doesn't get in trouble. Because Jeff, can anybody call Cadence quite like I can? Well, I can, but well, yeah. 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 <laughs> Besides you, <laughs> the um, uh, the only reason I'm saying that is because I was in a military school where I got trained to be a drill instructor. So yeah, yeah, you definitely. Can. I cheat. I cheated. Yeah, yeah, you kind of cut. Mark, it, Mark comes by it naturally. I had to have. Yeah, you have to have years. Teach of, somebody. Yeah, teachers, yeah. teachable training. Yeah. Um, uh, it, Words. It, it, the um, yeah, I've definitely had my fair share of 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 funny experiences, uh, bad experiences. That was one. Um, uh, you know, it, everything that was was going on, you know, was this is where a good producer and a good director can really shield. Um, uh, the rest of the people of the shoot from any any turmoil and any bullshit that's going on. Um, uh, the um, I, I learned you know a lot on that uh, on that on that particular set. Um, the um, the elevator story I've already talked about in in consequence. Um, the other thing I really didn't talk about though was it was the sound guy pretty much being on drugs. Um, even though I had to go to the director and actually tell him that he was falling asleep. Like in between takes, like he with the boom mic, cuddling the boom mic in the corner, and when somebody had to come up and wake him up to like go back to set. It's not professional, but I have seen that on on bigger shows where it's sometimes more acceptable. Mm. On an indie show, it, it just it depends. It, I I would you got to use your judgment there. And, uh, and actually, funny enough, and everything else, it worked out really well in one of the shots. You actually had to shut the door on us and keep us outside. So not only you, not only did you metaphorically shield us from other drama, <laughs> you actually physically shielded us from drama by shutting us out outside. Which is hilarious Just because put this here. there's something that happened when we opened that door. Uh, 
there were people that crossed in the background that weren't supposed to be there. There was crew in that shot. Thus, thus part of the story and part of the part of the drama. We we suspect that that it might have been deliberate. Yeah, but it, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Nope. It, it's it's the kind of thing where you know shit happens on set and it does. and and it's there's again there's second life for everybody and and I thought it was great. I I really enjoyed that process and and. Uh, the um, I think I think the one thing I will say though about it, and it's something that I discovered on set. You know, I got uh, plenty of great stories. You know, a, a, a yeah. sound guy falling asleep um in the corner. Uh, you know, yeah, I've right. I've had to deal with. Did you guys draw on him? Um, no, we didn't. Um, I I had to um, I had to deal with um with elevators going up and down. It was the same <laughs> shoot. Um, it was an eight hour shoot that should have been probably about four. Um, it was extended <laughs> out. You know, because there was no proper second AD to keep time. And first, they need to keep time. Um, uh, Elevators think, will fuck everything up. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm adding that to Hitchcock's list. Children, my goal, animals, and elevators. My goal is to shoot a scene where Mark's in an elevator, has to slate himself and Cole Cadence. And I had to, and I had to slate myself in one of the scenes. Um, so uh, I do have an elevator story that you reminded me of. I'm sorry. Um, uh, real, yeah, go, go, go ahead. Thought go ahead. Else. For the record, it's going to be 11 in about a minute. Okay. Um, so, uh, so we'll um, uh, give me give me a, a second. I want to hear his elevator story. I want to I want to tell my story real quick. All right. So um, the the two the two quick things I was to say was when chemistry works it works. Um, I've had the privilege of of being on sets and being in casts where where things just fucking flowed and worked really really well. Um, and that was one of them. That was one of them. And 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 everybody in this room I've had that feeling with. And I've, you know, and it's a, it's a feeling that I chase constantly where it, where you all, when you have collective energy and you all feel that you're working towards a common goal, it's a really good fucking feeling. Funny story I'll tell though is, is being on a set of clowns, um, uh, the, um, uh, was, we had about 15 extras doing a protest scene, myself in full clown makeup and, and then an entire main cast of, of sheriffs. We were in second, literally second setup shot, and there's a cafe across the street. Harley Davidson, with its, huh. with its, basically, with, he must have cut off half of his fucking muffler, so that it was extra fucking loud, barreling down at downtown Crown Point and everything else around the. It comes around the other side. We can hear him for two blocks. Comes around the other side, pulls up to the cafe, pulls up onto the sidewalk. Kicks the, the, the kickstand, pulls it over, leaves the fucker running and everything else. Comes and goes into the cafe. And people are, out this beautiful, gorgeous day, people are watching us shoot scenes and everything else. And there's people that are sitting at this cafe laughing hysterically because 30 fucking people all shifted like this and is death staring this dude on the, uh, that, that has his fucking Harley running. And, and they, there's like 20 people in this cafe laughing hysterically, and they're pointing at us, they're pointing at the guy. They actually talked to the guy, and, and, and he didn't want to listen to him. He, they, they tried to say, hey, sir, and he's like, he's like no, 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 I'm going to talk to you and everything else. Had no idea that 30 fucking people were staring at him. He actually got onto his bike, stood there for, sat there for at least five more minutes, and we were all about to run over there and charge across the street. And then finally, he fucking hit his bike in reverse and then turned around and drove it. 
never fucking realized that he was being death stared by 30 people and 20 people in a cafe were laughing at him because he was fucking up an entire shot. The um so so that was one of the funniest stories. And also one of the cast members in full fucking clown makeup with a uh, ridiculous umbrella, me and everything else also staring at him <laughs> within a group and everything else. And we clearly can see there's camera there's a camera equipment Loading equipment, sound equipment, you can clearly see, with the exception of a fucking sign that says, we're filming here, and everything else, you have every clue to be possibly imagined, and this guy still didn't even fucking see what the hell was going on. He never knew. Never knew. And then just drove away. And then we had to wait another block for him to, for him to, in his, you know, Harley with half a muffler to fucking finish his uh, ride down the street. Oh, Jesus. Never even realized. <laughs> One of the things we do now that. is when somebody does some dumb shit like that, you can film them. You know, people put it on their phones and, like, you're tagging this asshole. And then it, if the movies or the show's big enough or gets distribution or whatever, then that can come back to that guy. And be like, look at this D-bag. Um... <laughs> But yeah, that's the, thank God for set security. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, and that's that's the real purpose of a PA is to sit there and irritate the guy. Hey, buddy, can you move? Is there any way you can move this? Is there any way you can move this? Hey, is there any way you can shut your bike off? What if you shut your bike off? Would that be great if you shut your bike off? Yada, yada. And take all that abuse and, and the set just sits there and security just stands by and waits and waits and waits and waits and waits. And funny enough, the security would have been the opposite that day. Instead of the security uh, protecting the cast and crew against people it would have been the, the, the security protecting the people against cast and crew because that guy would have been pulled off of his fucking bike and murdered beat, beat to death. <laughs> as Mark sitting here in his makeup beating him with a big red umbrella yeah, motherfucker no, no, have you guys a... seen that thing where the Easter Bunny's beating the shit out of some guy in, in the Arizona? street yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do one of that but Mark and clown makeup the, the, the fighting some biker I <laughs> hate frowners <laughs> Mr. Rogers is your friend. (laughs) Uh, So the elevator thing, I'll tell really quick. Um, Christian Slater and I on the set of Influence got stuck in an elevator together. And it's me, Christian Slater, Steve Zahn, the the camera operator who's holding the Steadicam, and the uh, first AD. So we have the shot is is we come out of the elevator and go around the corner. Now, I have to operate the elevator. I'm not an elevator technician. I'm not a fucking know how to operate the elevator. But the guy who is supposed to do it from the building isn't there. And so they elect a PA to do it. And so my job is to try to control this elevator. Oh, God. Good luck. <laughs> right. And so I'm sitting here trying to time the elevator. And the very first take, the elevator closes on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> And, and anyways, Oops. we figure it out, and the camera operator is able to protect the camera. I'm able to protect the camera, but it still clicks on the side of, and it's the steady cam, so he's got a bunch of crap around the actual camera body. Thank God it didn't close on the lens. I would have loved to oh, have seen that. And, and it was just like I thought, like I just all the blood drained out of my face. I turned, I turned around and looked at the guys, and oh, and there was a female extra in the in the thing with us. We are all literally smashed into this elevator like sardines. Uh, People farted, and I'm not going to say who, but, you know, we, we, we are in this setup, 
then we go to lunch and we come back for lunch and Christian and myself are standing in the elevator waiting to get back to work. And he looks at me and I look at him and I'm like, and he, and like, he's like, do you think we can go to the bathroom? I was like, bro, you're number one on the call sheet. You can do whatever the fuck you want. He goes, you know what? That's true. And he says, do you have to, I said, I have to go to the bathroom. I fucking, are you kidding? I ate, I ate the tacos for lunch too. And he's like, fuck it. We're getting out of here. I, I get on my radio and I go, Hey, uh, Christian Slater and myself are 10 2, which on set 10 1 means you're going number one, you're peeing, and 10 2 means you're taking a dump. So we come <laughs> to find out there are only two stalls anywhere on the floor of this building that we need to go to, and we're in the same bathroom. So I'm sitting next to Christian Slater, and we're playing battle shits. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Christian Slater is the one that says it. He says, well, bro, this is certainly an interesting story. I can't believe we're sitting in here taking... I mean, he's like, I have to shit. I know you have to shit. It's just what it is. And he's talking to me the whole time. And he's... I'm cracking up, and we're fucking laughing and shitting. And and the ra- my radio's going off, and they're going... What's happening? Where's Christian? I said, he's 10-2 for the third time. And they're like, how do you know that? Do you have eyes on him? I said, yes, I'm in the stall next to him. <laughs> the whole fucking crew can hear that. And Christian goes, he goes, are they still fucking asking about that? It's like, I don't know why they don't listen to me. And he said, well, that's not your fault. <laughs> And sure enough, we get back into the elevator and Steve Zahn's waiting for us. And he says something like, you guys have a good time? He said, oh yeah, everything came out all right. (laughs) And so the great part is, is literally the next shot, we got the take and that was it. We We got it back from lunch. We got it in one. And then I was just stuck in the elevator for the rest of the day, but I had a story that's for the rest of my life. So. Oh, it would be a fun scenario. I've uh, always liked Christian Slater, but I love him so much more now. I, you I have to be a chill person. He is. Like that. He's the easiest dude to work with, and I. He's always off book. He's always ready to go. He's never late. He's one of those guys who just. Uh, it's, it begs the question. I, I'm so grateful that he got Mr. Robot. I don't know why he's not bigger. I mean, he's a household name still, but I've been a fan of his since Gleaming the Cube. You know, IMDb, that movie. You know, my brother and I used to talk about uh, the whole phrase where the guy says, yeah, but those wheels aren't good for anything. They're made for speed. And Christian Slater goes, perfect. And we used to, like, get into this whole thing. And if you've never seen Gleaming the Cube, it's a skater movie from, like, the 80s. It's about skateboarding and being rebellious. And I, like, I've been a fan since then. And to actually get to work with him and then I have a battleship story. Uh, I don't know. It's it's like, uh, what's his name in the fucking Jarhead movie? Where where else are you going to see this shit? Yeah. You know, it's like, where else do you get to do this? I can't believe I got fucking paid to do that. <laughs> Alright, so that about does it for our time. Unfortunately, we can't keep going. Uh, as I have to get ready for a early gig tomorrow. Dick. Um, hey, gotta pay the bills somehow. I'd like to say thank you to Jeff for being our guest. <laughs> thank um, you guys for having me. Before we outro, is there anything you want to plug? or? Uh, GoLuckyStudios.com for all of your marketing and uh, production needs. You know, everything from locations to uh, PR and strategy, developing brands and uh, shooting stuff. You know, uh, Hit us up, let us know, drop us a line, let us know what your thoughts are. And um, our motto is everyone's dreams are important. So, Very cool. 
Um, so yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, of course, don't forget to like like our video, subscribe to our YouTube page, follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Hmm, get the hiccups here. Uh, Instagram, Snapchat. Uh, Mark, Zach, you guys got anything? And the um, and very soon all of our podcasts will be available on Anchor. Um, and then those will be transmitted over to Spotify and several other places for podcasts. So please. Did you say Anchor or Anger? Anchor. 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 Okay. As in, as in the, the big thing that goes off the side of the ship. Oh, okay. The, oh my. the thing that woke me up every early morning on my second ship that I lived on. That too. So, um, so please give us a, 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 um, a follow on that as well as we d- explain to Jeff what an anchor is. Um, an uh, angry anchor. Indeed. Zach, not talking about Ron Burgundy? Nope. Um, uh, Zach, uh, anything else? Squirrels? Squirrels. Squirrels. <laughs> Squirrels. Take it easy, guys. Hit the button, Zach. <laughs>